Hey, this is Noah Aperback Katz, Rin on Star Trek Discovery, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that has so far not been asked to contribute to the Barbie movie, but we are hopeful. I'm your host Craig and now it's time to once again discuss the news and trailers of the month. The previous month was June, so that's the month we're going to discuss as logically follows. My victim slash guest this week is a man who needs no introduction, but is getting one anyway. Aaron, hello. I don't know if I can live up to that. I think I do need an introduction. Oh, you got one. So introduce me. It's Aaron, a resident gamer and potentially hater of fun. He's in an existential crisis about it. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that, actually, after we had that comment. So we had a comment from Violet on the website. Was it on the website? On the website, yeah. That said that she enjoyed me losing my crap over the latest Doctor Strange film. So there is apparently a desire for my anger out there on the internet. Yes. That's bad for my blood pressure, Violet. So what do I do? So I'd almost vowed to give up anger, and now I've said that it's a good thing. So where does one take that? You need to embrace it in some way and make it part of yourself so that it doesn't wind you up. Just make it something you enjoy, which is a slippery, dangerous slope. I don't think enjoying being angry at people and things is a good thing in any measure. That's what a lot of the internet subsists on, though. That's just, I want to hate this, and I'm going to watch every episode just to hate it, so I can tell you how much I hate it. That's the internet. There's another level to that, actually. I saw somebody on a Discord I'm on saying... I've just done a long day with the kids and work, and now I'm going to sit back and enjoy the hate on the internet. So people are now <laughs> not enjoying hating. They're enjoying watching the hating. Oh God. Where are we heading as a society? I know. As a media-consuming society, it's not great. But anyway, that's your introduction. Are you happy with your introduction? I don't know yet. We'll see what sort of person I end up as at the end of this. Well, let's start with stuff you might be liking or hating or somewhere in between we usually start this with a bit of a roundup of what we've been consuming since last month slash last time you were on. So what have you been watching? I'll give you my list and you can tell me what you want to hear about. Okay. I've got Outer Range, Stranger Things 4, Love, Death and Robots 3, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Umbrella Academy Season 3. I've just started that. What is Outer Range? I don't think I've heard of that. That is one of the latest offerings from Amazon I think it's one of their own productions. It stars Thanos. I can't remember his name. What's his Josh name? Josh Brolin. So it stars Josh Brolin as a modern day rancher who encounters a phenomenon out in one of his fields. Or at least this is all where it starts out, so I won't spoiler it. But he encounters this scientific phenomenon out in his fields, in the outer ranges, if you will, of his field. It's almost sort of art house where the outer range is referring to other things as well. And it, it becomes quite existential, and the style of it is quite arty. 
I think. You're not necessarily expecting that. But that enabled me to watch it with Laura. She ended up watching it too. So I would say it is science fiction, but it's not. What's the opposite of art house? What we call normal sci-fi these days. Mainstream. It's not your mainstream. That feels weird as well, by the way, calling sci-fi mainstreams. It never used to be. So there is a mainstream sci-fi and somebody has tried to reclaim an arty sci-fi from Amazon through it. It is interesting, but you've got to want to watch that style, I think. If you're going in there thinking, oh, I'll just add this to my list of DC and Marvel, then you're not going to enjoy it. But I did enjoy it, and it set itself up for a second season, as these things often do, as long as it's made enough money and Amazon's not going to collapse and so on, then it'll carry on. Yeah, and the good thing about streaming services is they can fudge how much money it made if they want to make another one. (laughs) I keep seeing how Netflix is being destroyed internally by its own funding model, so I just assumed that that lie was not possible. What, as in just continually making content without having the money to actually pay for said content? Who knew that wouldn't last forever? Yeah. Well, I suppose Amazon can rely on other areas of its business, so it, it cheats in that way. But I have not looked into the finances, so I, I actually don't know. It's not for us to worry about. We just watch stuff. We don't have to <laughs> yeah, care about how they pay for it. It's not us trying to make it. But that sounds interesting. Umbrella Academy Season 3, how's that? I know you've been a fan of the show prior to this. Am I right in thinking this is the first appearance of Elliot Page, as he is now known? Yes, and they handle the actor's transition by having the character transition as well and apparently i was looking at this the other day they put quite a lot of effort into it in getting in professionals to comment and guide them through the process so i can actually say through research that they have handled it with effort and thought and on screen it's reasonably fast you don't get lost in it but Interestingly enough, groundwork has been done with the character that was Vanya in the previous series that it does actually follow on. And I don't honestly know if in season two, Elliot Page put much of himself into that character. It was requested or it was selected for that reason or not, but it does actually just kind of carry on. So it's nicely part of an existing plot and it isn't somebody who's just done it to make a point out of it, which is always good. But yeah, how do I enjoy Umbrella Academy? Umbrella Academy for me is a bit like Legion. It's a weirdness that I can actually get behind. I struggle very heavily with silly. If something is silly to me and the purpose is to be fun, that's where my name as the fun hater comes from. I do struggle with things that are silly just for the silliness of it. Whereas things like Legion and Umbrella Academy, they're quite wacky, but it always seems to have a certain control to it. It's not just fast for the sake of fast. So I'm still enjoying it, actually, and probably tickles the same bone as Legion did. Whether that makes it a selling point for you or not, I've no idea. No, it does. I have meant to watch it. I just haven't ever got around to it. But I was curious about what they would do about the elephant in the room, so to speak, the gender realignment that happened out with the universe of the show. But it sounds a bit like art imitating life, imitating art type situation. As in, this happened in the real world, so we'll just make it part of our story at the same time. I don't know the history behind it, but if somebody came to me and said that the storyline that Vanya went through to become Victor matched the storyline in real life that was Ellen Page realising that he was Elliot all along, then I would say, fair enough, because I think actors do contribute to their series. And some of the stuff you read online where Elliot's telling you about his life 
you think, okay, yeah, fine. That actually does match up with Victor. You are giving some of yourself here. But yeah, I don't know. If there's a chicken and an egg there, I've no idea which order it is. Yeah, it's something that they had to deal with in some way or another. And it sounds like, from what you've said, they did it pretty well. I think they would have struggled if the character Victor hadn't have been dealing with those same issues. But given that it was, then it just slots in nicely. And it could have been written for Ellen Page as was, or there was a reason she at the time was cast in that role. Well, this is what I mean, yeah, without knowing the ins and outs of that. But because it slots in so nicely, it's one of those ones where you just don't need to know and you just kind of carry on. So fair play. Yeah, cool. And the other stuff you've been watching, you've been enjoying, or is there any of them that you didn't like? You can pick up on this as, as much as you used to, so I'm leaving it with you. I have enjoyed all of the ones I've been watching. I'm not going to pretend for a second that all of them are as great a quality as each other. But I am going to state that, yes, I have enjoyed all of those things. Now, I know that there's something flashing in your head right now. So I'm going to flick it back to you and I'm going to ask you, is there one of those that you were hinting at there at all or not? Not particularly. I was just wondering what your general feelings were on your media consumption choices. In that case, all I can say is to the audience, watch this space, because one of my list is probably going to come back in a little while, and then you'll hear what Craig really thinks. Okay, so let's move on to my list. As always, I've split it into film and TV, because that's just the way I do it. So start with our normal, or my normal, output, input, whatever. The Flash, Superman and Lois, been watching them and reviewing them. Both will be finished before this episode comes out, because as we record, the season finales are this week. Hopefully The Flash is moving into its final season next season. They have said that it might not be, which to me sounds a bit like a threat, to be honest. It has to end sometime, and it's long past running out of creative ideas. It's in a vacuum of creativity and quality, really. Superman and Lois is still good. Looking forward to season three. I really like a lot of what they're doing in season two, so keen to see that continue. New on the review trail for me is The Boys, but it's not new for me for watching it. I've watched season one and two before now and I'm reviewing season three really enjoying season three I think they're doing what they usually do as in throwing the social commentary in your face and they're doing a lot more explicit things this season in terms of visual content which I'm struggling with to be honest I'm sure I've said before that I'm pretty squeamish when it comes to these things and some of the stuff they've done has made me feel a bit sick is it gratuitous or is it um, organic part of the story. I could make arguments either way. People could make arguments either way. But I am enjoying it. I'm really liking what they're doing with the characters and it maintains the things I like about it. Certainly in season one, I was worried it would be a show that I would struggle to get into because it is that darker side of things. But it does have characters that represent the other side of it and it's kind of part of the whole DNA of what they're trying to do is that it explores how to be good in a world that doesn't let you be good in a way. So still really enjoying that. Season three has been... Strong output from them, and seeing Jensen Ackles in a very different sort of role, a lot of fun. So if you catch up with it, you'll get to see Jensen Ackles play a really dialed up Captain America, where the man out of time stuff means that he's completely racist and sexist and all the horrible things that people used to be that were accepted. So he's not the old-fashioned Captain America who has old-fashioned values in the good sense of the phrase. He's old-fashioned values in the worst sense of the phrase, which you would expect from a show like that. So you might have fun with this performance if you catch up. I lost track on season two. Interestingly, for the reason that you said, the opening of season two, I had to turn off because Laura was in the room or coming into the room and it was so 
graphic that I knew that it would really upset her to see it. And I thought, well, I can't watch that in front of her. And oddly never went back. I wasn't actually against the boys, though. I probably would have kept watching it. But even then, weirdly, I got slightly turned off by seeing some of the trailers, I think. I've stopped watching trailers. I've almost stopped watching analyses of films before they come out, because that was just ruining things for me. We established that on our yeah. previous episode, on the Moon Knight episode. That was that turning point. Yeah. It's like a psychological journey, you being on this podcast. I think so. I'm really trying to change a whole bunch of stuff at the moment. But the problem with the boys then was I saw a couple of plot developments teased. And I thought, I don't know if I want to see that. It was just odd, simple little things. It's not that they don't make sense, but oddly, again, though, watching previews and trailers spoiled things for me for this and, and is now become a bit of a theme for me. So I certainly am glad that I'm now going into Thor 4 that's coming up, knowing almost nothing. Yeah. So this trailer section should be interesting. <laughs> uh, well, this is a different thing where someone says to you, watch these trailers, then I can't say no. He does his homework for the purposes of this entertainment. So the boys, if you do go back to it, it'll be one that you make sure to watch when you're on your own and no one can walk in and see some of the graphic stuff on screen. Yeah, anything that involves any form of physical torture and horrendous stuff like that is not going to be a general viewing in this house. Don't watch it on public transport either. That should be a given, but just in case. Other shows I've been watching, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is almost finished. As of recording, it has two episodes left, so I've been watching that and really enjoying that as well. I don't think we've quite nailed the return to episodic plotting that the show definitely is. There's no argument that it isn't episodic. It definitely is, but it does seem like they spend a bit of time trying to tell the start of the story and then it's, oh God, we have five minutes left. Quick, wrap it up. That's not in all cases, but that has been a trend that I've been noticing. And it's good that the characters remember what happened last week. So you get that as your continuity, which is good. So it's a bunch of people on the same ship. They can talk about previous missions because they experienced them. So it's a good way to do that. I think it still needs to evolve a bit, but it's a good start and it's getting a season two. So fun stuff. If you like classic Star Trek, then it's going to be up your street. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you had enough of classic Star Trek and would like to see it become something else. Yeah, I've lost track of Star Trek. I have to say Discovery put me off a bit. And again, it's not like I wouldn't go back and see something else, but I think after Discovery and then Picard, I kind of got Star Trekked out a bit. I will watch Lower Decks. Should that come back for a new series, that one I'm still enjoying. But even the latest Orville, I'm thinking, nope, I do not want to go near that. Thank you. Well, Strange New Worlds might answer your appetite for what Star Trek hasn't been doing. Too much telly, though. This is the thing. You stick with what you're on. But this is the problem for all of your Netflix and your Amazon. I have turned away from these series, and I might enjoy some of them, but stacked up against the choices out there of things like Umbrella Academy, Stranger Things, that I am actually really enjoying, and stuff that I might enjoy falls off. Seems a bit harsh to say it that way. It's good. Uh, it is good, but I'm watching great. So yeah, time's always a problem. Yeah, definitely. Other shows, Ms. Marvel, I've been really enjoying that. If it continues the way it's going, it might knock Hawkeye off the top spot as the best Disney Plus Marvel shows. Not that I really need to rank these things or grade them on any kind of curve, but I'm definitely more drawn to the relatable street level stuff. And I've always been that way. Not that I don't like the big cosmic stuff. I'm sure I'm going to have a blast with Thor next week. 
about give me a relatable street level person with normal problems. I know that Kate Bishop wasn't that in Hawkeye, but she was street level, so I'll still take that. But yeah, I'm really enjoying that. That was on your list as well, wasn't it? It wasn't on the list I read out, but it could have been. I am watching it, yeah. Are you enjoying it? I am enjoying some of it. Obviously, the cultural element is there, and they've put a lot of effort into it. And I will say that I've definitely enjoyed seeing that. It's been very accessible for somebody who isn't in this other culture. Although I do think that in Britain, we have it a bit easier to make a connection to the Indian and Pakistani cultures just because we've got more of those cultures out here. Like in America, you've got Latina cultures and you've seen more of them. So I wonder if it's stranger for the Americans to see something that new. I have to admit, I still don't know anything like about it enough that I could say I'm familiar with it. And I think the show's done an excellent job showing it to me and saying, here's a completely different culture to yours. Look at all the parts of it. And of course, how much we are all the same. We're all different, but we're all the same. And that's been amazing to see. I think I will enjoy the series more though, when I see a little bit more of some of the characters, the bad guys, for me some of them are pantomime and the bad guys have got no real development yet but maybe when we go to the next episode and they actually go out to pakistan then we will get that development so if we do then that's great and then some of the main characters difficulty for me obviously this show is not aimed anywhere like me i'm an older white male it's never going to connect but looking at some of the stuff that we've had the foreground is very much something I thought I'd seen already with a love triangle. And the main character's a bit useless, but obviously she's going to come into her own. And, and then the, the sidekick boyfriend, part of that love triangle. and oh, But he's the one who's going to be the guy in the chair for her. And he is almost literally a guy in a chair sometimes. And so I think even with those foreground characters, I, I'm going to enjoy it more when they're not quite so teenage series that I've seen before. There's a show there that's developed lots of new things that I've never seen before. And it's very inviting And I'm enjoying seeing that. But the foreground, to me, has taken a massive backseat to that. But is that just because it's part of setup? Once we go through that and then we come to the stuff that's coming, then I'm sure that that also will get its treatment. I'm looking forward to what's coming, but I guess it's not on my list of greats yet, just because I've not felt that the foreground has been developed anywhere near as much as, obviously, the background has. Sure, yeah. We're three episodes in as we record. Episode four is on tomorrow as we record. So future you as of tomorrow, but past you as of time we release this, we'll have seen a bit more of what they're up to. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I am looking forward to seeing where that offering goes. If this was a massive complaint, then I would have stopped watching because I don't have time. So I am interested to see what's coming when they do move into there. Did they actually get to shoot in Pakistan? They couldn't do that with Moon Knight. They couldn't get to Egypt. I don't know. When we do our Ms. Marvel, it won't be us two. Me and other people. By the time that podcast comes around, I will hopefully know that. The information's probably out there. I just haven't done any background reading. I don't usually do a lot of that at this stage. The last show that I've been watching, I actually sat through an entire Star Wars show that wasn't animated. And that show was Obi-Wan Kenobi. I would say that for the most part, up until the last episode, I found it to be fine. I wasn't blown away by it. I wasn't especially annoyed by it, other than the fact that it was just fine which is an annoyance in itself. And then the last episode, I just thought, 
all you've done here is justified how much of a waste of time this entire season has been because we're going nowhere. That's the whole point of the season is to go absolutely nowhere with any of it. And that really irked me because the point of a prequel is that it's supposed to add some greater context that helps you understand something in that sequel slash previous thing that you've seen and it doesn't do that at all. It just feels like to me that Star Wars when it comes to these legacy characters, is running in place a bit. It's just trying to preserve some kind of bizarre status quo, so didn't enjoy it. We are hoping to get a podcast together talking about the whole show because I had some really strong thoughts on the finale that I would like to get recorded, but we'll see if we can put that together. So yeah, that was it. My thoughts on the finale of Obi-Wan, awful, and it sullied the rest of the season for me, really. That was the one I was hinting at earlier for those who wondered. But I'll still say that I didn't hate it, but I won't say that I thought it was as good quality as the rest of it. I will also be interested to talk about the finale. I thought that the thing that they were going to explain to us that gave us the extra depth was something they gave us in about two sentences of exposition at the end. And I thought, that's a shame because it had just built the entire series more around that than you could have really given us something. So in that last episode, I saw what I thought the series was trying to do. But obviously, then it's a massive shame that I don't believe that they gave us enough of it. Obviously, you didn't feel satisfied. I didn't feel satisfied. I just saw the door that I wanted to have been opened just suddenly shot on me before I realised it had actually been open. It is a shame. Weirdly, of course, I've just said as being slightly older white man, this is going to be my show because I am going to be interested in seeing somebody who has lost confidence through getting older. That, to me, is a story that could have been told at the same time as giving us information on how these two main characters lost their connection forever. I really wanted to see that because I'm not that age. I'm only at midlife crisis age. I'm not getting old. Well, well, I hope not yet, but it is coming. And old age and the loss of power that comes with it is something that no matter who you are, if you're lucky enough to live that old, it's going to happen to you. They are talking about finding the cure for aging, but it's certainly not available to everybody at local chemist yet. So watch out for them. So I thought it was all there. There was a promise of something that could have been there. That was a rich enough soil to plant in, but it didn't really come out as I wanted. And the first episode does set up some of that stuff that you're talking about mm. that could have been the basis for a strong character arc. Oh, right. yeah, definitely. They didn't do it. No. They just didn't do it. In every episode, they just kept not doing it. Well, they always hint at it, but never commit to it. Yeah. But longer discussion coming your Absolutely. way, hopefully. Isaac is going to be there to counterbalance us because you ask him what he thought of the episode, and he's like, yeah, lightsabers were hitting other lightsabers and all that kind of stuff. It's everything he looks for in a Star Wars. So we'll get him as a counterweight. Right. And again, we can do a, if you agree with one person, give us five stars. If you agree with the other person, give us five stars. And if you agree with that last person, also give us five stars. You're trying to tempt the hate out of me here and you're not going to do it. <laughs> so that's that. Moving on to movies now. I've seen a few things. I saw Lightyear, which is the hard to explain Toy Story spin-off, or certainly hard to explain by Disney marketing people, Toy Story yeah. spin-off. Basically, it's supposed to be the film that Andy, the human character in Toy Story that didn't know his toys were coming to life, watched in 1995, which seems like a fine idea, except it doesn't feel like a film that was made in 1995, which lifted me out of it, which made me wonder, in the Toy Story universe, the visual effects, because it's supposed to be a live-action film in that universe, in the sense that Andy is a real person in that universe. It's just the whole thing is animated, obviously. So 
from that point of view, the actor playing Buzz Lightyear in the film that Andy would be watching is a real actor. And I would have quite liked to play with that visually, as in whenever there's some kind of complicated effect shot, it looks a bit dodgy against the crisp live action and in inverted commas elements, stuff like that. I don't think your target audience would necessarily have no. got the joke. It's something they would have got a bit later, but it would have been fun to see that. And if they could have based it less on something like Guardians of the Galaxy and something more like Lost in Space, the movie that came out with Matt LeBlanc around that time, it might have been just a fun little mid-90s sci-fi satire thing, but instead it's just a animated film that looks like and feels like it was made in 2022, which I feel like is a bit of a missed opportunity for it. I think what's presented is good, and it works pretty well, and it's a shame to see that it's not made as much money, which could be down to audiences being conditioned to expect Pixar movies to release on Disney+, Plus and not bothering to go and see it, because everything else they've released has been for free in inverted commas recently and that's a bit of a shame and it's being attacked by those kinds of people on the internet because it's quote unquote too woke because there is a same sex kiss in it that is one of those you could easily miss it if you're looking away for the second that it's happening a bit like that's a bit weird the comparison to Doctor Strange which has a same sex couple in it they don't even kiss and that got attacked in some ways as in it got banned in some countries but I don't think audiences were necessarily attacking it for that reason again it's these blinking you'll miss it things as you said that's the internet the internet is out to attack so you could almost say to me somebody on the internet attacks something and i would say it's tuesdays and it is the day we're recording it's tuesday technically accurate podcast it was good enough chris evans was good as buzz lightyear and i quite like that they didn't just get tim allen back because it's quite common for not the actor in a film to voice the toy based on the film so that makes sense to me, but I'm not buying that it's the film that Andy was supposed to have watched because it just doesn't feel like that should have been that. But again, whatever. It's a perfectly fine sci-fi family movie. Maybe something to just stick on on Disney Plus when it appears, which won't be too long away, probably. Something else I saw was Jurassic World Dominion, which I thought was awful. It's two and a half hours of my life that I'm not getting back. It does nothing with the old characters, does nothing with the newer characters, does nothing interesting with the dinosaurs. It has a story about, believe it or not, locusts eating crops and stuff. So that's what you want in your dinosaur movie, isn't it? Locusts, apparently. It's just nonsense and I really hope that this is the last of these for a while or possibly ever because you've really milked that franchise concept for all it's worth at this point. For a film about dinosaurs acclimating to the wild and the world learning to live with them, It's not about that at all. That's what they tell you it's about, but it's not about that at all. Don't be fooled. But one of the more interesting things was, I'm not even going to call it discussion, uh, confrontation, I suppose, I had with someone at work about it in the day job. And I wasn't going to get involved in their conversation because they were chatting about it and they seemed to love it. And then I got asked what I thought of it. And I simply replied with, I'm not a fan, or I wasn't a fan, hoping that there would be no follow-up questions. Unfortunately, there was. And it was, what, why? Why didn't you like this? So I just listed off a few things. Some of the things I listed off there, the characters were rubbish, the story was rubbish, they didn't do anything with the dinosaurs, etc. And then the response I got was, you just expect too much from films, which I thought was a very odd statement. I... Interestingly enough, was having a discussion with Laura about this. I think we could have a whole podcast discussion on this sort of topic. I don't know that people are wrong to want quality, but do you remember back in the day when you used to watch Star Trek and then you watch Quantum Leap and so on and so forth because they were the shows that were on? And I don't ever remember afterwards going, that was rubbish. How dare they do that? And this is just, oh, the characters were terrible and this, that, and the other. I do think the internet at large 
as was, which was, of course, the playground, it was the same equivalent. It was whoever you were with and whoever you were chanting with, seemed to be just a bit more, I don't know if tolerance is the right word, but you didn't mind if something wasn't amazing because it's all you had. And you might have said, I like this bit and I didn't like that bit. And I'm not saying that you were vitriolic talking to this person at your work. No, I tried to avoid the conversation because I didn't want to step in and no. say, by the way, hated it. But I do think that we were less critical ages ago. And now because we've got all this choice, I think it has led us all to be just a lot more critical. You could probably have a discussion around the expectations of society, the demand of society that our shows be good now. But I don't remember ever having that demand in my head when I was younger that every episode of Star Trek had to be good or I was going to be disappointed. I'm not saying this was something that you have. I'm not agreeing with the guy, but I do think it's an interesting and related topic that generally is a viewing public. I think we are much more demanding, almost as if it's our right to have good shows. There's something else that I always thought about back in the day when you got a chance to prove yourself by doing the writing. Have you ever seen any early Monty Python? No, but I've heard it's not the best. Some of the early stuff, it's rubbish. But because they got to learn on the job, you don't get to learn on the job now. If you do a bad episode, that's it, you're out. But back in the day, you got to learn by doing it because there was, we need somebody to be a comedy guy. You'll do, get on, learn to be comedy and do it. And so later on, when they did develop it and they did develop the skills, of course, they became really good and they worked out how to do all these things. But nowadays, Laura's sitting here, she'll give something two minutes and she'll say, mm, this is a bit dull, isn't it? That could be it. That could be the end of a show. Two minutes. Yeah. And it's over. And that's how much time you've got to prove yourself. You don't give yourself a good, strong opening, cancelled. I don't know that I agree with the person that you were talking about, but I do think that the conversation you've had opens a door to a similar discussion place that Laura and I were in about audience expectations and our reactions to them. I don't know if that would make a good meta podcast for us still, not at all, but it struck me that it, it could be. Well, put together an agenda and we can get people to do it. Yeah. On that project that you've now just suggested and volunteered for well done yeah, well there you go I'll keep your mouth <laughs> shut here ladies and gentlemen yeah it might happen at some point who knows no i do agree that and i do think there's a lot of factors to it some of it's to do with time because when i was watching star trek or any of the stuff i was watching as a teenager or whatever i'd loads of times i was just watching stuff and i didn't really bother about whether if some of it was good or bad and it is the choice it was if you didn't watch Star Trek, you weren't watching science fiction because that was pretty much all there was at one time or another. Mm. There was other options, obviously, but what I'm saying is there wasn't as much of it. And now we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got DC doing their stuff in film and TV. We've got loads of choice mm. even in the superhero stuff as well. So it's not a, well, that superhero film wasn't the best, but it's all we've got. You do have alternatives. But the thing that took me aback about that comment most of all was it just killed the conversation because there wasn't one after that because what am I supposed to say to that? I no, just expect no. too much. I could have been really obtuse about it and taken it down this logical line of, okay, so me expecting a good plot, good characterization, and a film about dinosaurs to use dinosaurs well is expecting too much. Interesting. And then attacked it on that score. But it wasn't going to ever be a rational discussion, so I just left it at that. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Still didn't like it. And you saying that hasn't changed my mind. Mm. But didn't like it. I wouldn't recommend watching it. When it comes to Jurassic Park, just watch the first one and then nothing afterwards. I did quite like the last Jurassic World film, Fallen Kingdom, but I wouldn't recommend suffering through the entire franchise just to watch one that's pretty good. So just watch the first one. It gives you everything that you might need in, in that one. Well, I'm already up to date with that then. Cool. Yeah, you don't need to do anything else. It's just a classic that didn't get any sequels as far as you're concerned. Aye. The 
last film that I watched was Elvis, which is the most recent film I watched as well. It mm. was fine. I didn't know an awful lot about Elvis before going in, mm. and I didn't feel like it gave me a lot of extra information that I didn't already have. So it's interesting how much I was aware of without really knowing I was aware of it. Mm. It's one of those things that you don't think about it because it's just in the cultural osmosis, and you're like, okay, all oh, right, that's where that came from, or that's yeah. what that means, and, and that was that. But it's more about looking inward to Elvis rather than Elvis himself. The lead performance from Austin Butler is excellent and tom hanks he's always good so he does a good job but he's the lead character so he's looking at elvis outwardly but it's one of those birth to death biopics which are always difficult for me because it just gives you the bullet points gives you the headlines of their life rather than actually exploring anything the best biopics to me are here's like three weeks of their life that ends up being a bit of a summary of their entire life in a way yeah so here's a three-week period or whatever long it is. It doesn't have to be their entire life, so it's fine. Go in for the performance, and if you like Elvis, the music's there too. Cool. Okay, next up we do a bit of plugging. So you got anything to plug? I know you were at a gaming convention last month. Yeah, I went to UK Games Expo, which is Britain's biggest gaming convention. This is tabletop gaming, though I have to say. It won't challenge any computer gaming, obviously. But that was an excellent super spreader event that I... Came back with a summer cold from. That was totally worth going to. Summer cold is code for COVID. Oh, I actually got COVID after that. I can actually trace it. Oh. Delightfully, I managed to get two different bugs in the last little while. But I won't call that the highlight. I will say <laughs> that it was back to full swing. It was back to the numbers of people. There was something like 25,000 unique visitors, almost 40,000 tickets sold. So it was a big event for us. I highly doubt that challenge is Gen Con in America, but for the British... That was a massive event. I ran a few games there myself. I didn't pick anything up this year, but I will say for the people that are interested, Kingmaker is getting a Kickstarter in the autumn, which, for those that don't know it, is a remake of an old 1970s game using modern rules. Definitely looking forward to that. So even though I didn't necessarily buy any games there, I definitely saw adverts to get me interested for later. You've made a promise to buy a game later. Oh, I'll totally back that when it kicks out in the autumn. Cool. I don't have much to plug, just usual stuff, stuff I'm doing on here, my reviews and other podcasts. I'm still over on the We Made This Podcast Network, chipping in here and there, I'm chipping in with their Strange New Worlds content. I was on a Ms. Marvel episode of Podcast 616 talking about the second episode. I appear here and there on that network, so follow the link and... Click about and you'll see my name showing up here and there. It's good fun talking with those guys over there. Me betraying this podcast with others in a way. Can I betray my own podcast? That's a question for another day. Anyway, let's move on to trailers. We have a bunch of trailers. Oh, it's more teaser month rather than trailer month, actually. There's Mm. a lot shorter, more succinct looks at things, I suppose. Early looks. First up is The Imperfects, which is a Netflix thing. To me, it looked like a fairly standard experiments gave these people superpowers it's going to be a superhero story and it has it has to be said below par visual effects some casting in it though that i picked up on italia ricci she's in it i liked her when she was briefly in supergirl rika sharma who was in battlestar galactica and kira zagorski who was vasquez in continuum two people that you'll recognize there i would imagine they must have flown by pretty fast because even though i know both battlestar galactica and continuum i didn't pick anybody up quick enough i don't think they were in the trailer extensively but they're in the show i remember that from reading about it when we teased it a few months ago when it was first announced it looks fine i guess but it doesn't look like anything we haven't seen before 
The, the problem of just showing us the powers of the people is that their only offering is it'll be a bit cool to watch. Oh, and we've got a tagline coming of rage. If that's what you're saying the show is, then you're not offering any story or nuance. So I'd agree I wasn't going to have any more reaction to it other than I think I've slightly forgotten it already, I'm afraid. Classic Netflix. It's forgettable and probably won't be that good. And I probably won't watch it once again. My vibe when it comes to Netflix stuff. Oh, well, I wouldn't say that was true for me. I've been really enjoying Stranger Things and Love, Death and Robots and, of course, Umbrella Academy. So I can't stop clicking on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, it's just something I never really get around to engaging much with. There are exceptions, but let's move on to Blonde, which is another biopic about Marilyn Monroe. And that's another one that's a bit like Elvis in that I weirdly know very little about Marilyn Monroe, but I probably know more than I think I do because of what's made it into parody and so on. Anna de Armas playing... Marilyn Monroe. It's a moody teaser. It doesn't really tell you an awful lot, but it does cycle through a lot of the familiar imagery that you might associate with the actress as she was. So looks like it might be interesting. Well, I thought this was a good teaser, actually, because I was interested to know, and I haven't Googled it. This is the thing. I don't know if I want the answer. I think I want to see the film and then Google it. But after having seen that teaser, I do want to know if the Marilyn persona was almost a new personality that she had to summon up. I don't envision it being like a proper split personality, but the way they hinted that her game face was almost alive and unto itself it intrigued me i thought i wonder if that is actually true about that person that is completely opposite then to the previous trailer which is the imperfect saying watch us for just cool effects that actually you didn't even like whereas this one is giving me a plot tease it's suggesting there's something about the character that i didn't know because if that's true, I had no idea that's how Marilyn got through her shows. So I would say this was a really good teaser, and I would watch the film based on that. Yeah, there's the Marilyn Monroe that the public sees, and then there's this damaged person that exists behind closed doors type thing. It's not a new plot, really, but it would be interesting if that was part of who she was, and that's what led to what happened to her. But yeah, it would be interesting to see if it can cut through all the cultural osmosis that exists around that person because it's one of those almost doesn't feel like she was a real person in a way because of how heavily parodied it's been or she's been in various things another thing from netflix we've talked about this a few times actually it's the adams family prequel reboot ish thing wednesday that is essentially wednesday adams solving supernatural ish crimes at high school and it's done by the producers of smallville so it's essentially smallville but the adams family the tease is just of her suiting up so to speak if her suit is the pigtails. Yeah. It's the iconic imagery, so I say it counts as suiting up. It's effective enough, lets you know it's coming, and I know a bit of the background, as in it's Smallville, but the Adams family. And I liked Smallville, so might give it a go in that regard. And it seems like it'll have the full set up. What's it, the, the hand? I forget the hand's name is in the teaser and so on. It's just Thing, isn't it? It's Thing, yeah, that's right. I always got that confused between that and Cousin It, because it's the hairy one, isn't it? Anyway, that's that. So am I... Experience with the Adam family isn't massive. I used to watch the cartoon when I was younger, but I never saw the original TV show, and I think I saw the first film. Oh, and I saw the most recent animated film, which wasn't very good. Or the first most recent animated film, there was two of them. But I didn't like the first one, so I didn't see the second one. It was complicated. Yeah, it's a, it's a long and storied and adapted 
property. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it'll be worth a shot if you like the cool character that they've presented in front of you. It's always going to be worth a go. So I'll give it a go. And that's all you can expect from a teaser. I mean, that's a real teaser. It was just, you want to watch Wednesday, don't you? Yeah, probably do, actually. Done. The deal is done. We all walk away. So it did its job. Yeah, coming soon. Probably sooner than you think, because Netflix's approach is... Here's a trailer. It's on next week. Moving on, we have the next Disney film, animated film anyway, Strange World, which I think looks really good. It's the usual initial animated Disney tease, as in it's high on energy and visual flair, but light on detail. I'm fine with that. I quite like just getting the flavour of it. I do like the classic quality to the trailer presentation. The visuals are amazing. It is that old school adventure vibe, that exploration, but it's the exploration of this strange world. And I put a note here that it reminds me of the video game Spore, with some of the life form imagery. Don't know it, but fair enough. It's one where you essentially create life and then watch it evolve. I can only agree that's what it was. I didn't get enough out of it to think, oh, this will be a completely different offering than any of their previous offerings because you're kind of expecting a fluffy, heartwarming story transposed into a new environment, which they have done. So I guess I'm not massively excited, but equally I feel like I trust that they will do that transposition well enough and I'll probably like it. So good enough. Yeah, fair play. Bullet Train is up next. It's the second trailer for that. And it's that second trailer I feel like I wish I hadn't watched actually because it kind of shows an awful lot. It shows far too much. I like the first trailer more because it showed a lot less. But nevertheless, I think the aesthetics looks amazing. It's a really fun Brad Pitt performance as well by the looks of things. I love it when he goes and does these over-the-top action movie things. It feels like he doesn't do them that often, but when he does them, he seems to have a blast doing them. And I know he said recently that he might be approaching the twilight of his movie career. So if he goes out and things like this, which I hope it will be, then great. Twilight could grief. He could carry on if he wanted. He's in his 50s. He's a bit melodramatic. From his point of view, he says he's approaching the end of his movie career maybe if he's choosing to fair enough if he's saying that it's the twilight of his heartthrob action career fair enough but otherwise it seems a bit melodramatic to say i will never get work again after this probably will i don't think he's saying i'm never gonna get work again it's more that don't want to work again after a certain point and when you're brad pitt you can make that decision oh yeah if that's what you're saying fair enough you're not bothered eh? He's probably more than enough money to last several lifetimes, even with all of the kids that him and Angelina Jolie are raising. This one I thought was a bit standard in its slapstick until they end up punching the mascot suit, which is for some reason hilarious to me. I don't know why that seems a bit horrible and mean of me. But despite that, I did get a total gross point blank vibe. And I really liked that film. And if they keep that connection up between him and his handler throughout and do give us that style of back and forth with them, then I would really enjoy it. So I'm watching it on a vibe, giving me a promise of something that probably isn't there. But a teaser's just got to get your interest. So it's done enough to get me in. And then we'll see if I do actually get this reality or not. The trailer is a lot vibe. The first trailer was more vibe heavy, but it has that neon aesthetic that's very popular in Hollywood at the moment and whatever else. And I hope most of the film is set on the train because I quite like these enclosed 
location type action movies. But that's the joke, the fact that he can't get off. That should be the thing they keep coming back to. That's their running gag, that constantly, no matter what he tries to do, he still, for some reason, never manages to get out the door. There's good comedy in there if they can pull it off. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. It's out early August, so we can go see it in the cinema as a group, perhaps, and take it all in. Next trailer is the next offering from the DC, I don't even know, universe of films. It's another DC film. And this one is the maybe spin-off of Shazam, maybe not, but it's Black Adam, The Rock playing Black Adam. Well, The Rock playing The Rock playing Black Adam, I suppose. It's maybe more accurate. It looks fine. I wasn't as enamoured with it as I wanted to be. It's definitely more of a hero than a villain story, which I think is a missed opportunity. I feel like they don't fully commit to, this is a villain origin story. There's always either an anti-hero prospect of it. In this, there's definitely a desire to become a hero. Even have the line in it, heroes don't kill people, which is definitively not true across the medium. It's as if they're acting like, oh, this is the first hero that takes lives. No, it isn't. And it won't be the last. The Rock was never going to play a bad guy, though, was he? That's just not in his contract, is it? I don't know. I thought he had a contract that set up that he can't play a bad guy. He has to play somebody that, at least at the proving point, is somebody that kids would want to be. I know he can't lose fights. That's in his contract. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there is something about that as well. So he's playing a not-bad guy who is a villain in comic books who can't lose a fight. Excellent. I got nothing from this trailer, I have to say, but only because of the darkness I bring with me. Because I'm not into the crazy, over-the-top superheroes. As soon as you end up with a suite of people in weird-ass costumes doing crazy farcical things, I've kind of lost interest. It needs to be usually a bit more grounded to me, but it could be more grounded. It's just that in the trailer, they're not going to show that to me because that's not what this is about. So... I honestly don't know if I'm going to like this or not, because it could be grounded in the emotional storyline of his lost son. But I actually found the previous teasers more interesting. I loved his tongue-in-cheek call-out of Superman. That was fun. That was actually quite funny to watch. If I hadn't have seen this trailer, I might have felt more connected to it for that reason, which is... The opposite of what the trailer is going for. So based on the trailer, I might not have bothered. And we'll see actually whether I do or not go. Yeah, maybe if it's one of those ones where you and Chris tell me, that was amazing, I'll have to go. <laughs> the thing that seems out of step with Shazam for me is that aesthetically it's way different. Because in Shazam, that movie was ostensibly in our world. Although it was in the DC expanded universe, Batman exists and Superman exists in that world and so on. But you could recognise it as the world we live in. Whereas in this, yeah. there's all this advanced sci-fi tech and whatever. In fact, the first shot is of a jet that doesn't exist. Yeah, but it's literally set on another world, isn't it? So it is literally out of this world. Well, it's set on Earth. I'm actually revealing that I know nothing about Black Adam, but one of my notes says, I think this will be good if you already know the character or if you already like The Rock. That's what I think this is targeting, this teaser. But The Rock's been trying to get this made for such a long time. Oh, really? Now he's finally done it, so... Yeah, the Rock wants what The Rock gets, or The Rock gets what The Rock wants, whichever way around you want to slice yeah, it. Very different. But yeah. Up next is The Monsters, which is basically, a, I assume, a riff on the intro to the old TV show, something I'm not aware of. I've never seen the old show, but it just seems like it's doing that again, although it's kind of aware of that. Maybe it has a bit of a tongue-in-cheek commentary on yeah. nostalgia bait, as in, here's a thing that you liked, and we're going to do it again. So that hopefully you like it by us just referencing everything it used to do. And 
It's in colour now, which is that big difference, I suppose. So I don't know if it's going to be some kind of self-aware satire of itself. I don't really know anything about the monsters. No, I thought this was a difficult one for that, actually, because the monsters is so old that your younger audience isn't going to know them. And you're at the stage now where their parents also aren't going to know them. It's the grandparents that are going to know the monsters. So when they're saying, yeah, we're bringing this back, well, you are, you're bringing it back from quite a way back here. And for all I know, grandparents take their grandkids to the cinema and that's going to be the connection here. Get the silver surfers in. I don't know, I think it's a weird one to put a trailer, a teaser out for something that people are going to go, you are? Who are they? I'm supposed to know them. And they'll have immediately forgotten. I don't know. I might be misjudging the size of the monsters fan base. Maybe. <laughs> It's a tricky one, this one. I couldn't connect with it at all because I don't know the monsters. I don't know what the joke of turning them into 60s colour really means. Presumably that happened, but it did for a lot of things. But even then, bringing them into colour, that's an old joke. That's a joke that, again, you've got to go back to your parents or your grandparents to enjoy. You remember when that happened? Oh, yeah, that was funny. Was it? Did it? Vaguely. No idea. So I can sort of intellectually appreciate that they might have done something with some meaning, but that is not enough to make me desperately want to go and watch the monsters. So yeah, it, that was a weird one for me. It was, it was very weird. It's hard to know what the angle of yeah, this thing is, something. which makes it difficult to judge. I presume we'll find out more. Well, we will, because it'll come out at some point. But before that, maybe they'll give us a better flavour of what we'd expect from yeah. it, what the point of it is, other than presumably Rob Zombie liked the monsters and wanted to make it and then got to make it. Next trailer is a fuller trailer for the latest from Jordan Peele is Nope. And from this trailer, it seems like the, I don't know if it was a theory or if it was ever explicitly confirmed, but Nope actually standing for not off planet Earth. Seems that that, if it was a theory, was correct because it is about some people trying to capture aliens on film in a weird cloud that's weird and mysterious. I don't have many notes on it because I'm not quite sure what it's really going for, but it looks a lot more comedic than I expected. I guess it's because of Jordan Peele's other work that I've seen. It's been more skewed along the social commentary, more serious side of things. Not that there wasn't humour in there. In fact, some of the social commentary was humour, especially in Get Out, where the joke was people who are kind of racist or completely racist, trying to pretend that they're not racist, the I would have voted for Obama for a third term joke and all that kind of stuff. Poking fun at the people that say that seriously as if it's supposed to make you this paragon of equality when it really doesn't. It just makes you sound like an ass. I don't know that this film won't do that. Might, but it just looks a bit more comedically leaning than I expected. I'm expecting that. I'm expecting there to be something behind it. I'm expecting the marketing to be showing you one thing and then actually get something else out of it because it is about something that is hidden. It's an alien film. Yes. It's a monster film. They have to keep it hidden. And therefore, naturally, you're assuming that there's going to be plot that is hidden with it. Now, if at the end of it, it just turns out to be just good fun, that won't make it bad. And I wouldn't say that I thought it was bad because of it, but I have been led in a path with this previous films that I'm thinking I am open to the possibility and it feels like it's his wheelhouse and would he leave it maybe don't know yeah I'm expecting that it's just an angle the comedy is there as an angle and you're going to see it put against some horror 
as well because he likes his horror so i am expecting the two to just be balanced but that's actually almost what i want now i've decided to try and avoid analysis and too many plot heavy trailers i'm actually glad that i don't know because i want to go in and discover it for real if we were going to do a massive analysis of this up front i'd be back to my problem of not really going to enjoy the actual show now it's a good trailer in that respect then it piques your interest i'll tell you one thing that i wrote down here that made me think there is going to be something more there's a line in it i don't know if i'm going to get it right this dream you're chasing where you end up at the top of a mountain is the one you never wake up from i'm not convinced i know what that means but it seems weird that you'd put that in and then it not be some sort of message or analysis in there to some degree And it doesn't have to be social commentary. It can just be about chasing a dream. It can just be a a Moby Dick story. And when you chase, that actually ends up ruining your life. So I'm not expecting that it's definitely social commentary, but I'm thinking there's got to be a theme or a message in there somewhere, and I would enjoy looking for it. So we'll see. Yeah, well, that's his thing, isn't it? He tells stories that are about something. He's making a point about the world we live in or the people in it so there's no reason that he'll not do that in this one but yeah stay away from the youtube videos that have the thumbnails with a red circle in it or an arrow pointing at something that's nothing to do with anything stay away from those because they are clickbait trash where they just say let's look at this teaser frame by frame and pick out everything that's in that frame and 20 minutes oh subscribe to my patreon and here's four adverts while you're trying to watch this 20 minute video right embrace the hatred The next trailer we have, Prey, which is the Predator prequel that apparently didn't start life as a Predator film, but you wouldn't really be able to tell based on this teaser, actually. Another Legion reference, Amber Midthunder is the lead, and it looks like this could be a decent Predator film, of which there aren't that many. It looks good. Predator versus bows and arrows, fun concept by itself. I don't know where to go with this one because I watched it and thought it seemed like a bad idea that it was a predator film it felt like somebody just said we really want to make a native american film let's get something out there let's get some more representation in what can we do it well nobody will watch that so let's ram the predator in oh right brilliant yeah so my cynical hat was on all over there (laughs) i do think that's what happened yeah but if you remember the first predator film it starts off as being a film about rescuing prisoners of war and then the predator shows up about a third of the way through it. So it is actually in keeping with the style of the the good ones anyway. I mean, it could be good, but I did wonder what there is left to say, though, if it is going to reduce itself down to being, how do we defeat the thing that cannot be defeated? Oh, we've defeated it. Yay, it wasn't that difficult after all. Because once you've realised that you need to follow the normal tricks, cover yourself in mud to get rid of its heat vision and this, that and the other, this has already been done in all the previous films, hasn't it? The Predator has been so outwitted. Well, why we think of it as an excellent Predator, I've no idea. It keeps coming to Earth and getting defeated. So it's clearly not that good. And if they work out the same tricks in every single film, what is there that's new here? It is just going to be a backdrop of, let's pretend we've made a woke show here and put it over the stuff you've already seen. So whatever film script was actually lost to make this, I feel like I now want to see that instead. But I could be proved wrong. This could be, as you say, it could be a really good Predator film, but I don't understand how that's possible at the moment. Well, one thing that stood out to me in the trailer is she seems to have real trouble fighting a bear. 
and then she has to later fight a predator. So a bit of a scale up there, really, isn't it? Well, I think this is one of the problems of some of these films. If you really did show the difficulty of a woman back in that day and age trying to make her way in a world that said, I'm sorry, go back home and raise the children, then you could show her overcoming some real adversity. But if it ends up being the same sort of stuff they had with Mulan, where she shows up and she's female, well, that means she can do everything with superpowers because she's a woman. She doesn't have to learn any lessons. She's a woman. Therefore, she knows how to do good things, but she can fight everybody because she's a woman. So actually, you're taking away all of the overcoming of adversity. You're removing the fact that someone can show that they can learn all these lessons and develop all these skills, and you can prove that they are worthy of the equality that should have been given them from birth, and you just remove the entire message. I just think that's where this is going to go. She's going to have a problem defeating a bear at the start, and then she's going to realize that she's a woman and defeat the predator because she's a woman. And that's going to be so undermining to everything all the equality movements are trying to do that it will probably ruin what, as I say, was in the original script, which potentially could have shown you some real overcoming adversity and potentially have been a good film. I don't know. I feel like the rage is potentially coming back, so I have to suppress it a little bit. I just don't see where this is going to pick out its valuable plotting and development from. Yeah, and something I came across is an interview with the director where he seems to be more interested in talking about the film he wanted to make rather than the film that has actually been made. So it's almost like you said, we have this Native American First Nations story put the predator in it because no one wants to see that. But he's talking about how there's going to be a Comanche language track on the film. And he specifically referenced Hunt for Red October, you know, that famous scene Mm. where it transitions from them speaking Russian to speaking English. And there's that visible transition where that point happens. And the film tells you using visual language, they're still speaking Russian, but you're hearing English. And it's a really clever visual trick and it really works really well. But He's talking about throughout the film, you'll hear them in English, but they're actually speaking their native language, oh, which again is a conceit we all buy into whenever we watch science fiction or anything. Really, we're really would have spoken differently. So that's fine. We're all equipped for that. But the thing he's quite proud of is that I guess he fought for this language track and got it. And the actors themselves are returning to do the voice dub of it. I think it will be a dub, as in they didn't film the film twice. So the mouth movements will still be off on the dub. But That's pretty cool that they're not just dubbing it with different actors, I suppose. And that's something he seems to be proud of. I guess he's launched into the compromise that he's been forced to make in terms of making this film he wants. As in, okay, I get to make some of the film I want, but here's the predator. Well, such is life. Anybody that says, I deserve to get everything that I deserve. No, you don't. Life isn't fair. Get over it. So, yeah, he's had to suffer the problems that everybody's had to suffer. But it is a massive shame because all of these achievements that he's going to get could be shrouded by having to have made a NAF Predator movie. And that's what it will be remembered (laughs) for. It will be remembered for being a Predator film and not for anything that it could have otherwise been. Anyway, maybe it'll be amazing. Really enjoyed the first half, went downhill when the Predator showed up. (laughs) That could be the review. But we'll see. I'll give it a watch. It's going to be on Hulu, so it's not going to be a cinematic release, I don't think. Or maybe it'll be a limited one, I don't know. But it's Hulu that are releasing it, which is probably Disney Plus for us. Next up on our list is one that I'm really interested in finding out your view on, is the Gotham Knights trailer. Now, for background, this is the latest CW show about people picking up the pieces after Batman's not there that isn't Batwoman. 
It's the similar premise, just with more, maybe not more, more main characters, I suppose, whereas Batwoman had one main character and a lot of people on their team. And it will share some characters, which we might talk about. But I'm interested to find out your view on this, because we discussed Misha Collins casting some months ago and the possibility of you watching it for that reason. So now you've seen the trailer, what do you think of this? Well, it's terribly CW. That's my thought process on it. There's a lot of pretty people being very stressed out about being so young and clever, and that youth and cleverness is what they're going to use to defeat the adults of the world. And I've almost forgotten how it's going to be in anything to do with Gotham. Oh yeah, somebody's the daughter of the Joker and somebody's the adopted son of Bruce, but it makes no real difference. Does it? Could it just have been a CW show set around somebody who'd lost their father? I couldn't really see any important connection to DC there, unless I missed it. No, there was some stuff peppered through. So you've got Misha Collins playing Harvey Dent. He's referred to as Harvey in the trailer. There's the brief shot of possibly the worst looking Batman cool we've ever seen and batarangs and things like that. And of course, the Batcave is mentioned and there's a weird conversation where Harvey says to the lead character, whose name I've now forgotten and haven't got written down, did you know your dad was Batman? Which seems like a very leading question for a lawyer as well. Yeah, I was trying to be a bit flippant there with it has no connection to Batman because obviously it has a connection to Batman. But what I mean is, could this have been repurposed from something completely different? And somebody said, I want to do a show with some kids that uncover truth about their past and somebody again like we were discussing with prey the producer said oh yeah i can't really show that i can't really do anything nobody will watch it but if you make it batman then i can push it all right fair. so scatter a few batarangs in there make the lead adult character harvey dent because he's a good adult character just paper it on i'm struggling to see what it is that's going to make this interestingly dc interestingly Batman. The daughter of Joker is just someone who happens to say I'm the daughter of Joker. She didn't seem to be crazy or anything. She didn't seem to be disturbed at having one of the worst serial psycho killers as a parent. She seemed a little bit of a teenager who was slightly rebellious, but I would have expected her to have been massively screwed up. So it felt like the CW wants to put some pretty people on. They're not really going to commit to the horror of being the Joker. They're not really going to commit to being the son of a slightly disturbed vigilante. It's just going to be pretty young children solve crime, I think. And I don't know. I always feel like I'm doing the CW harm by saying this, but it just seemed a bit CW. Tell me what I've missed. Tell me the amazing stuff that I have missed, that actually I'm going to wish I'd seen this. And you can say Misha Collins, but you've already said that, so give me something else. No, you've pretty much caught everything. I'm not going to try and forgive this for what it is. As many listeners may know, and as you know, I'm a fan of CW shows. I watch a lot of them, and I think some are better than others. And yeah, this one does seem very, very CW in the worst sense of the phrase. It opens with... A bunch of rich people having a party at a mansion. Super relatable there, we can all see that. Teenagers causing mischief at, I guess, Bruce Wayne's mansion? Great. Okay. Wayne Manor, I suppose it's called. (laughs) It actually has a name. But that's it. It seems like the characters are already inaccessible. Obviously, it's just a trailer. And I can already see the ins and outs of their childhood trauma that will catch up with them. So the daughter of the Joker, you'll probably find that she is a bit messed up. And there'll be some backstory about her bouncing from foster home to foster home or something like that. You can already almost see the conversations that will play out. And I think back to that first poster, which is just them all standing in a rainy alley. 
and then it says Gotham Knights, and it's okay. What about this is Gotham, other than uh, it rains a lot yeah. in Gotham, I suppose. In the Batman, it rains in almost every scene, so fine. Gotham, it rains a lot, but it also rains a lot in I don't know Chicago, yeah. where this could also be set. But I do think it was built from the ground up as the, what this is. But it did make me think when they announced it that Batwoman's days were numbered as a show because it is a very similar concept. Right. As in, Batman's gone, here's people that are going to be doing what Batman does, but when he's not here. Yeah. But I don't understand why this needs to exist. And I assume they'll all get costumes at some point. You've also got a Robin yes. in the, the show as well. So this will be a very, or not very, slightly alternate take on Batman where... Some of the iconography exists and some of it doesn't, so this will be his Robin. Obviously, we're not used to him having an adopted son and other lore we've been exposed to. But I am wondering where this obsession comes from with, let's do a Batman story, but let's do the Batman story after Batman's gone in some way. That's two now on the same network. Yeah, it's just a way of squeezing more and more juice out of a favourite fruit that was eaten long ago, that's all. Yeah, I'm not enamoured with this at all. I don't see what there is in there that's going to be of any interest to me. At least if there were just superheroes in costumes doing stuff, or vigilantes in costumes doing stuff, that would be something I could get excited about. But if it is just a bunch of teenagers trying to clear their name after being accused of murder, and then they decide to go out in fashionable clothing and hit people, is that going to be interesting? I guess you don't really know if clearing their name is episode one or season one. Because if they clear it in episode one, then it's just their origin story. And then you will get teenage superheroes. But you wouldn't get that necessarily from the trailer that you've just seen that would tell you this is why you're going to keep watching. And if it is the end of season one where they discover something, then they'll have the same problem that loads of shows have that I've liked season one of and not liked afterwards. When you've undermined your premise completely and try and build another show for season two, it's really hard for the viewership to go with you because you can't give them what they fell in love with because you've had to rebuild. So I think they've not set themselves up well here because they've got one of two problems coming and neither of them are easy to deal with. I doubt this will see a season two, to be honest. It feels like something that will just get ridiculed and then cancelled during its first season, especially with the way the CW's up for grabs and the mergers and the big corporate changes that are going on at the moment. I can't see this lasting very long, but... It could go one of two ways, I suppose. That clearing your name of murder accusation plot that you're talking about, if that's season one, then in theory, if you like that, then season two is something you don't want to see because then it just becomes a traditional teenage vigilante type show. Or there'll be the crowd that season two is what the show should have been all along. There's those two possibilities. Or it could just all be crap, I suppose. There's a third possibility. I wonder if they're trying to get ahead of... Marvel, as there is always an employed fight between them, even if there isn't one, because we know that, well, we don't know, but we largely suspect that Young Avengers is on the way. And do we think that DC wants to have its own Young Avengers first? Because it doesn't matter how young your CW cast normally is, they are still usually adults, aren't they? Is this going to be DC's offering into that realm of teenage supers? I'm trying to think what they've really done with teenagers before, which is very little, really. They've had teenage supporting characters in their Arrowverse offering, I say Arrowverse, it's not Arrowverse because it can't be because Batwoman sit in the Arrowverse and now that's gone. You can't just have two vigilante teams in the same Gotham City that don't know about each other. That would be, would it be outlandish? 
I don't know. There's a lot of overlap between these two shows anyway in terms of character names and so on. I think Julia Pennyworth should show up at some point, for example, and she's or was in Batwoman. And I don't imagine it would be the same actor, those kinds of things. So I, I don't know if they're trying to get ahead of it. But if they were trying to get ahead of it, you think they would try and do it in a more overt way. You have Kid Flash and Robin and stuff. Or maybe Titans was already that. Titans, they're adults. They couldn't call it Teen Titans because they weren't teens. They were. They refer to their past as being teenagers, but they are adults in Titans. So this is what I mean. Could this be DC trying to corner some market on teen viewing, get the teenagers with wish fulfillment? They've got Shazam for being a bit younger. This one does go in the middle. Yeah, the thing that drew me to the Arrowverse is that it moved away from the teenage stuff. It was adults, people in their 20s and 30s doing stuff. Because you could easily have made Supergirl into a teenage show, for example. And they did a proof of concept of that almost with a couple of episodes that were set when she was at high school. Pretty sure that was probably talked about as being the premise of yeah. the show at one point. But it would just be Smallville with a girl, whereas Smallville was uh, Buffy with yeah. a guy. So it's that coming full circle, I suppose. But they didn't do that. They did her as mid-20s or early-20s or however old she was supposed to be and doing that. So this show doesn't look that great. I will... Watch at least the first episode, I think, and see how I get on with it. Is Misha Collins going to drag you in for at least the first episode? I don't see that being enough, I'm afraid. This is a massive backlog of stuff to watch. I don't really think it's going to make it onto my list, I'm afraid. If you turn around and tell me it was the most amazingly stupendous thing ever, then maybe you'll change my mind, but I'm not seeing it. Maybe I'll do that just to make you watch that first episode. Well, then I shall never trust you again. (laughs) Bring on the pain. (laughs) No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be that disingenuous. Next up, a bit of a fun, potentially fun, animated film, Paws of Fury. It's the second trailer for it. It's essentially samurai cats and dogs. Last time we discussed it, Cat was slightly affronted at the cliche portrayal of samurai, where they could have really actually portrayed samurai, but I don't know an awful lot about the samurai culture and all that stuff, so I didn't pick up on that myself. This trailer seems to be leaning into its self-awareness, Samuel Jackson voicing an animal that's riffing on his famous words without swearing, and they reference that they're doing a training montage when they're doing a training montage, and then there's some really obvious pop culture references. I think it's time to retire the I am your father joke. It's not funny anymore because it's very old now. (laughs) There's no need to keep bringing it back. There's no way to make it funny anymore. Anyway, it looks fun enough. It could be. I didn't get anything out of it myself i didn't laugh or think anything was funny but that sort of stuff is so personal i always struggle with i am going to point out that we have done something stupid and not funny and by pointing it out it makes it funny and i argue no it doesn't make it funny you've just explained why i didn't laugh which is not funny but that is such a personal thing other people might find that absolutely hilarious the target audience might which we are not. i didn't get anything from it but i can't say that i thought it was a disaster either so we'll see what happens somewhere in between next is the trailer for pinocchio it's the live action disney remake of the animated film of the same name robert zemeckis directing this i like robert zemeckis he did the back to the future movies which is my favorite trilogy so therefore i'm interested on that level tom hanks is in it great it looks visually impressive it's a shame it won't get a cinematic release actually based on how good it looks but is this one far back in time enough for you by the way that it doesn't breach your why did they remake this rule 
No, I generally think that about most things. I mean, I understand why Disney are going through their back catalogue of animated films and remaking them. It's, it's easy to understand, but it depends. Can they do something different with it? Because a lot of them have just been made the film again, but with actors instead of drawings. Aladdin was that. I thought this one must be far back in time enough, though, that it will get a modern treatment and you will see a difference, whereas you would not have enough difference in time between Aladdin then and Aladdin now. It, it was doomed to be the same sort of thing because even though our society has moved on slightly, not that much. Whereas Pinocchio, how many decades has that been? It has to be upgraded slightly. And it's an older story and obviously the Disney version of Pinocchio is way different mm. to the traditional story, which may show up later mm. on our list. But yeah, I like the look of this and I think Zemeckis is really good with visual flair and I think he's delivering it here. Yeah. So I'd be keen to give it a look. Next trailer is a bit of a weird one, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which is a musical with a singing animated crocodile. And he's misunderstood because he's a crocodile. But neither of us have young children. So when it says based on the beloved book series, we can't actually appreciate that. So without actually having a, I don't even know, four, five, six-year-old, I'm going to struggle to connect with it. Don't know if we've got somebody in the podcast set that could give us the lowdown on Lyle Lyle Crocodile, but... Maybe there's a hidden gem somewhere. And if not, maybe you'll just enjoy the music and the story of a misunderstood creature becoming more understood. I was a bit weirded out, if that's the right word, or disappointment if not, when I had no connection to it, obviously, without having kids, but thought, those songs sound really much like something I've seen before. Don't they sound like The Greatest Showman? And then it came up at the end going, from the people who wrote the music from The Greatest Showman. I thought, oh my God, that's a shame. Because I've not seen The Greatest Showman. So if I can link that together, and I'm rubbish at this sort of thing, but if I can link the songs from the trailers of both films without having seen either of them, that does not speak for good originality when it comes to the soundtrack. But maybe, again, that's me being a bit of a cynic. I don't know. I suppose that shows you how iconic the Greatest Showman music is if you can identify it in something that has ostensibly nothing to do with it. Oh, yeah, really. The next trailer is The School for Good and Evil. Gets to the chase there, by the way. I like that. Let's just get right to it and tell you what it is. It's The School for Good and Evil. No, let's not hide anything. Yeah, so before discussing the trailer, I'll just read the brief synopsis I've got here. Based on the young adult fantasy novel by Soman Shanini, maybe? The story follows best friends Sophie and Agatha as they are kidnapped to the school for good and evil. After their fortunes are reversed, their friendship is put to the test as the duo attempts to return home. It seems like the idea is that this is where the concept or this is where the balance of good and evil comes from. People are abducted and trained in the roles that maintain this balance of good and evil. The plot will probably be about people being told what their place is and questioning it and actually finding their own place. It's clearly influenced by Harry Potter. It looks almost the same <laughs> in terms of this adaptation. It does, unfortunately, and I also would have said that without having really watched any Harry Potter. It's all of the age ranges. If it was aimed at an age group whereby you want to give them an easier message then I can understand that there's nothing wrong with having a message film that's too easy for an adult to understand if you're aiming at a six-year-old. You are going to change it. If it's a bit direct for us, tough, you know, the natural audience. But without doing enough research, I don't know if it is just a blatant ripoff or not. So it could be a really good message film for a younger audience, or it could just be a total ripoff and I've missed it. More research needed there. I don't know if you've already done said research. I haven't. No, I've watched the trailer and I read that synopsis because... 
I was wondering what it was because I don't think the trailer does an, a great job of setting up the theme or the idea or what th- the story is going to be. So I'm not sure. And I'm not all that interested in it based on that, to be honest. Probably not the target audience, to be fair, but I've watched things that I'm not the target audience for in other places. So this probably won't be one of them. No, just done a bit of searching there. A great book, perfect for the ages 12 to 16. Okay. So in which case, I would be expecting a bit more nuance. And I am slightly wondering if it is a bit of a Potter ripoff. But again, no, I'd need to do proper research. I don't know. It's sort of older than the target audience for Harry Potter, isn't it? In which case, you would expect more nuance. You'd expect something a bit more to the story than somebody just saying the school for good and evil. But maybe that's the cover. Maybe beneath it, there is a hidden message where they do go into the details of adults will try and make you think it's just good and evil, but actually the shades of grey, which would be a little bit harsh because adults surely would tell you that it's shades of grey. It's only the younger kids that they try and convince with their fairy tales that it's not. But even then, there's another subtlety to that because you don't try and go into the complex details of life with a four-year-old because they'll just get bored. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting lost in here. I'm going to have to come back to it. I need more research. Yeah. So maybe when there's a bigger trailer or something, I don't know, we can talk about it then. But the next trailer, they've released a teaser for the final two episodes of this season of Stranger Things. There's one more season after this. As far as I'm aware, I don't know if that's when they're calling it a day, but there definitely is one more season after this. I haven't seen Stranger Things since season one. You have been watching it, so I'll put this on here. So what do you think of the trailer for the last two episodes? And what do you think of the way that they've broken this season up? Do you feel like they should have just doled it out all at once like they usually do? Or, well, this suppose they did it in parts previously. I've got a chat, but I have to confess to the audience here that I did not watch this trailer on purpose for the reasons previously established. I didn't want it to be spoiled but i can talk about season four because i have seen season four volume one and to answer the questions that you have posed on that i find that i'm not watching in episodes because it's just dumped on us all in one go the fact that they've got really weird episode run times and their films instead of tv shows and so on i don't think that you notice i was watching it on the train through to glasgow which is exactly 47 minutes so i watch what 47 minutes gives me and if i go across an episode i don't really notice and it's really weird to do it that way because i was trying to think back did they do a beginning a middle and an end did they leave me on a cliffhanger specifically at the end of every episode and did they really do a midpoint where you get a change in the pace and what's happening after the characters have achieved some midpoint goal i'm thinking i don't remember it didn't impact on me enough that way but there were endings episodes did have endings where somebody was rescued or something was found out so i did pick up on those endings but there are people being rescued throughout there are people encountering information throughout And the only one that really sticks out in my mind is one where Max was saved. And you won't know the character, but anybody that's been watching it will know what I mean by that. Max is saved from something, so let's not spoiler it. But you've seen, no doubt, on the news already that running up that hill has hit the charts across the world. And people that didn't even know the song are now just listening to it constantly. And and it all comes from that plot with Max. So clearly, yeah, they do have these endings that are still built, but I couldn't tell you how the rest of the episodes end. So I find it very difficult to say, is it a good thing that episodes are not normal episodes when I'm not consuming them that way at all? I think I'd be best able to answer that 
if they released them one episode at a time, which obviously a few of these streaming services are doing, but sometimes there are. There are a few shows coming out one or two episodes a week, and I would still consume them that way. So the question you've asked is an interesting one, but I find it difficult to answer because I'm almost wondering, is the whole episode structure, does it follow any rules anymore? I'm struggling to even answer that. That's always been the difficulty of particularly Netflix release model, as in it all, as you've said, bleeds together into this Mm. singular entity. So then if you're a little bit behind and not watching it at the same rate that other people are, and then someone asks you, what episode are you on? You say episode four, and then the response will inevitably be, I don't know what that one was. Yes. Because they just watched it over a weekend and don't know where the seams are between episodes like you've just said there so you might watch 20 minutes of the end of one episode and then 20 minutes of the beginning of another one Mm. and not really notice where the crack is other than the fact there's maybe credits in between but you might not notice from a narrative standpoint where one ends and the other begins i don't know i haven't seen it again since season one but i found that in season one where it was all bleeding together at a certain point and We've said that about streaming before. I much prefer the weekly release model, especially because I review some of this stuff. And I really hate the prospect of having to cover an entire season in one article, especially the kind of articles I do. Mm. It takes forever, and I just don't do it. Well, I will say that one of the interesting things about story is we analyse it so much that we're used to the formulas and we're looking out for the formulas now, especially because we on this podcast and you on the website are all about long-form analysis. So we are looking for those formulas. And the interesting thing is when you can't see the formula, it's because you are usually engrossed and enjoying it too much. So I do like to think that just because we can't see the episodic structure and the emotional payoffs that the formulas do give you, the story structures do give you, is that because I'm just enjoying it so much and that's a good thing. So maybe if I could see the episode structures in Stranger Things, it would indicate to me that my brain is disengaged and I'm not enjoying it. So there's a possibility there that I don't need to be able to see the episodic structure at all And I will say that I have been enjoying Stranger Things season four. It's four seasons of this and I have enjoyed all of them. So is that evidence then that the structure is potentially still there because that's what's helping me enjoy it and it's hidden, which makes me even more engrossed. So I am looking forward to this second volume and the episodic structure as given on Netflix, has not ruined it for me at all. It's almost like we should split you in two, where one watches it once a week and the other watches it, as you've been watching it and see what the situation is from there. It'd be an interesting experiment to try on something, to see if I felt like I did have that effect on my brain. But you'd have to find me two shows before I watched them that you knew I would enjoy them otherwise equally. So good luck with that. Or two used to watch the same show. Oh, well, yeah, fair enough. Good, <laughs> good luck with that, yeah. How's your cloning coming along? The severance approach, yeah. I suppose. So we're approaching the end of our... I'm tired all of a sudden. I think I've just nodded off. Andrew, what are you doing here? Did I fall asleep again? Did that happen again during a podcast? That's so unprofessional. It really is. And what is even more unprofessional is summoning someone who was in the middle of a really pleasant dream, the details of which are 
not appropriate for this particular podcast because I know you like to keep things clean. Yes. It's also concerning that I'm dreaming about you, which is something for me and my therapist to discuss. Excuse me, I'm just going to pour bleach through my ears. (laughs) The therapy session will not be published. But since you're here, we might as well talk about the teaser or date announcement I think it's actually called for The Sandman, the Netflix show which is premiering on August 5th so not too far away they've actually given enough notice this time as to when it's actually going to appear which is rare for Netflix, usually it's here's a trailer, it's on next week enjoy. Yeah, or here's a trailer it'll start at some point and then you only actually know that it's started when you notice it as you're scrolling past it, desperately looking for the latest Bruce Willis DTV film. Yeah, that's something that might happen. On this podcast I am often talking about Netflix films and then detailing that I'll never watch them but this might be different. I might watch this it's a TV series based on the popular The Sandman graphic novels which I haven't read. So my perspective of the trailer is, I think it looks really cool, it looks really off the wall and weird and all the stuff you would probably expect from just having a glancing knowledge of what the Sandman is. My only real direct experience of the Sandman is his very quick appearance in an episode of Smallville. Yeah, though that one actually doesn't even count because that was Wesley Dodds, who was a superhero with the title of Sandman, but is... Absolutely not the Sandman that this series will be following. Okay. Is it one of those things like what Alan Moore did with Watchmen? It's that this character's lying about, I'm going to do something different with it. Kind of. Because the look that Morpheus, the Sandman, has at one point in the trailer when he's wearing his helmet, which incidentally was carved from the skull of a dead god. Of course. The look that he has there is purposefully quite similar to how Wesley Dodds looks when he's wearing his gas mask. And it is possible that during this first season there will be a brief mention of Wesley Dodds as he crops up very briefly in the opening part of the comic series. Well, I won't explain how because it's not something that's been alluded to in the trailer at all, so it's a bit of a spoiler. But anyway, it might crop up, might not. Either way, it won't really matter that much. Okay, yeah, so my knowledge of the Sandman has nothing to do with this show. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so as a fan of the property, as someone that's aware of the graphic novels and whatever else, perhaps the audio play thing the audio version of it that Kat talked about some months ago. What do you think of this and what's it saying to you as a fan of this stuff? Because to me it was just, this looks weird, I don't know, I'm maybe interested. Which is, I think, what they're probably going for for people like me that don't have that connection to it. I think it looks pretty spectacular, actually. And yes, I will agree that it does look very, very weird. But being familiar with the comics, I have context for all the weirdness. So I understand everything that's going on at any given moment and can place those shots and events within the context of, of the comics events. And it does look like it's going to be followed quite faithfully, which you probably expect, uh, given that it's Neil Gaiman who is actually showrunning the series. Do you think he'll divert from the original story, though, to surprise viewers that know the story? Because adaptations usually change something, or they move things around, or get characters doing different things, things like that, because otherwise it's just, why didn't I just read that? Yeah, I do think so, and I think a kind of deviation was vaguely alluded to. In one of the few bits of the trailer that went about Morpheus, where you see Jenna Coleman, who is playing a character by the name of Joanna Constantine. John's grandmother, apparently, according to previous material. Well, I'll get to that in a moment, actually. (laughs) 
there's a bit more to say about that. You see her, her talking to this, this older woman who is named Mad Hitty, who is this bonkers bag lady who there's actually a bit more to than first appears. Their interaction seemed to suggest to me that there was going to be at least some deviation or at least addition to the main story, but without there being any kind of allusion to what that might be. You know, I want to say about her character with Joanna Constantine is that moment was obviously set in the present day, and in the comics, Morpheus does actually meet John Constantine earlier early on in the series, because that's a thing that Morpheus gets him to help him with. I think the reason for the change in character is because DC of taking back the rights to the character from Warner Brothers, who were obviously using him in the Arrowverse shows, which is why he was so unceremoniously killed off in Legends. He just kind of left, didn't he? He wasn't really killed off. Yeah, yeah, just because the series weren't allowed to use him anymore. Yeah. And I think that... It's a similar situation here, and is that Neil Gaiman just simply wasn't allowed to use the character. So nobody's allowed to use him. <laughs> I think they're just holding him back because they're still set on making a Justice League Dark movie, and they wanted that, and, and they don't want to confuse viewers by having him in anything else. Yeah, because we'd all get so confused, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Oh, Christ, because as we all know, only one version of any comic book hero is allowed to appear in any kind of visual medium at, at any one given time. Despite all the chat at the first fandom about no, we get it. You can have as many Batmans as you want. You can have all this multiverse stuff. We're going to really lean into the multiverse stuff. And now, nah, let's just have one Superman. Tyler Hecklin, you're it for now. Matt Ryan can be the only John Constantine. We can't have another one. And we need to recast Lucifer in a different gender role because we already had one of those who is no longer active anyway, but never mind. We just can't have too many of these people running around. People will get confused. You can't do this, despite the fact that we had a Spider-Man movie where there was three Spider-Men in it, and people (laughs) followed it just fine. And even more than that, they thought it was awesome. Yes, and we had the entire smaller scale, but Arrowverse, where hopping between universes was routine, and we all managed to follow it, so we were fine. Yes, I don't actually know for certain any of that. It's just my speculation slash cynicism. Yeah, well, it seems to be heading back that way after all the multiverse chat. Batman seems to be the exception because of the Robert Pattinson Batman and then if the Flash ever comes out, there'll be another two Batman in that. So that seems to be the exception for now. But you can't have them on things like Gotham Knights. No. God, I just can't over how much that sucked. <laughs> anyway, so Joanna Constantine. She was actually a character who was used in the comics on a couple of occasions, who was intended as an ancestor of John Constantine. She's also quite manipulative and something of an opportunistic sociopath. And in this trailer, it looks like she's essentially wearing a palette-swapped version of his costume, or his outfit that he normally wears. That was certainly my take, just going for a white trench coat, it's sort of a tan one. The general consensus of the online denizens seems to be was seriously hot. That is Jenna Coleman, so fair enough. That is true, yeah. I'm possibly talking in Cockney accent because she perhaps can't do a Scouse one. Yeah, I couldn't really tell what she was trying to do based on the smatterings of dialogue she got. It could be that throughout the show you're like, what's she trying to do? A bit like Carl Urban and the boys. It took me a season to realise <laughs> that he was doing a Cockney accent. I just thought he was Australian or New Zealand or wherever he's from. To myself, I only knew that it, it was that from, from having read the comics. Just because when Billy Butcher is first introduced, it's actually referred to as a big English guy who talks like Michael Caine. Okay. So I just assumed that was what he was trying to do. Yeah, I think it's in season two they start confirming where he came from and I'm like, oh, that's what he's trying to do. Okay. Didn't pick up on that. Yeah, and from the events that 
that was uh, able to see in, in the trailer, and also for, from the casting announcements. It's, it seems like the first season will cover the entirety of the first collection of Sandman comics, which is called Prelude and Nocturnes. And there will be at least some of the second one, which is a full arc called The Doll's House. And then they'll cancel it and everyone will be really annoyed. Yeah. I'm also fairly sure that it won't feature the entirety of The Doll's House story. Because from what I've read about what's going to happen in various specific episodes, it will be over half of the first season before The Doll's House story actually starts. So I would be very surprised if it were all crammed into a maximum of four episodes. It is possible that we'll be seeing some of its events take place during the early episodes, because there are some things that happen that don't necessarily need to take place afterwards. In the same kind of way that in the series of His Dark Materials, where it had Will introduced in the first season, despite him not showing up until the second book. So specifically referring to the character of Rose Walker, who is central to to the events of of the Doll's House arc. But I don't know though she is going to be in at least some of it. I'll be very surprised if by the end of the season it will also be the end of that particular plotline. Then it'll be extra disappointing when Netflix cancel it after one season for no reason. Exactly, yes. And people just have to read the comics to find out what happens. Yeah, or just be annoyed and never find out, as most people will do. Sadly, yes. Or listen to the audio thing, I suppose. Yeah, which is actually very, very good. So there's that option, I suppose. You could pick it up with that. But let's hope it doesn't get cancelled and they get to make as many seasons as they need to, because they need something. Netflix, now that Stranger Things is going to be a thing of the past pretty soon. Yeah. And also, because there have been attempts to adapt The Sandman for over 30 years now. Yeah, I remember Joseph Gordon-Levitt was going to do one. Part of the problem with the adaptations, or the attempted adaptations, is that they're all attempting to do it as a film rather than a TV series, which the nature of its story just wouldn't allow in any coherent way, just because it jumps around in time constantly, and the scope of it is so vast and sprawling. So even if you were to have the runtime of a Marvel movie, you wouldn't be able to cover the whole narrative in any kind of satisfying way. Funny you talk about his dark materials, same problem existed there. Well, the film was problematic for other reasons as well, but the idea of trying to condense all that into a film or The Time Traveler's Wife, the film was a heavily condensed version of what that book was and the TV series now has that time to sprawl out and do that. So yeah, I think some things are better suited to longer form stuff but I think I've said before that now that I've had a taste of high budget MCU on streaming that for eight episodes or whatever I just want it all to be that now. I don't want the two, two and a half hour experience anymore. I just want a TV series for everything. I know that's not a popular opinion but give me that. I'll take that. And it would certainly result in less people complaining every time a new Marvel movie is released in cinemas. Yes. Because that got tedious years ago. <laughs> and I just can't have those conversations anymore. Green screen, CGI, it's all evil. It's like, yeah, whatever. Off you go. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Next. Well, I've not watched it. Well, fine, well, doubly sod off then. <laughs> yeah, no one asked you. Go away. Anyway, before we descend into vitriol. Anything else on the Sandman trailer? It's like... 
a minute long, and I think 10 seconds of it is a Netflix logo. Not really much more I can say without being obnoxiously vague and going on about particular shots in the trailer that allude to things, but I can't say what they are, but I know what they mean because I read this and I'm special, which would just sound really annoying and be really annoying to listen to. So, final thoughts. Basically, I have loved these comics for years. It's one of my favourite comic series of all time, and just going by what we've seen here, I think it looks absolutely spectacular. Cool. And you may end up doing a write-up for the website once it releases as well. It is entirely possible if I can learn to wrangle my time better. Yeah, isn't that the eternal problem? Okay, cool. I will probably give this a watch as well. I'll try and at least watch one or two episodes just to see how it goes. I always have a problem with Netflix stuff because everything moves on so quickly, doesn't it? The conversation always begins and ends over the course of a week, if, if even that long. The binge formula, I don't like it. Would you rather see this released weekly or would you rather watch it as one contained whole? Honestly, I would much prefer if it were released weekly. Yeah, that's the right answer. Because it was when everything is released at once, it's like there's this tacit obligation to watch it all at once. Otherwise you're kind of falling behind and you're kind of not part of the conversation about it. And then people ask you, well, where are you on that? I've seen that. And you're like, episode four. And they say, I don't know what one that was because I just watched it over the course of a couple of days. Yeah. So there's that problem. Okay, cool. You got the answer right there with weekly releases. Always the way, I think. Although there's some things that are better being binged when it's done, but I think the initial release, especially if you're trying to write about these things, I just don't touch Netflix stuff for that reason because I'm just not writing thousands of words on a eight-episode thing, which is something that you've suggested you might do on this one. I did say that, didn't I? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's recorded. It's not edited out. So if anyone's listening, they can hold you to account for it. They can, what's it the kids say? They can at you and say, where is that article you promised? And I can be sure there would be much disappointment if one didn't materialise. Perhaps. Anyway, let's move on to this thing that you wanted to talk about that I missed when putting all this together. I missed it because it's a season two of a thing I've never seen and I didn't click on it. Inside Job is getting a season two and I'm just going to read the blurb about it for people that don't know what it is. It's an adult animated comedy about the shadow government and the dysfunctional team whose daily grind is committing the world's conspiracies. From convoluted cover-ups to secret societies to masked orgy etiquette, navigating office culture at Cognito Incorporated can be tricky, especially for antisocial tech genius Reagan Ridley. Even in a workplace filled with reptilian shapeshifters and psychic mushrooms, she's seen as the odd one out for believing the world could be a better place. Reagan thinks she can make a difference. If only she could manage her unhinged manifesto writing father and her irresponsible co-workers to finally snag the promotion she's been dreaming about. And I feel bad that I missed this because it sounds amazing. Voice talent involved, Lizzie Kaplan, Christian Slater, Clark Duke. I love Christian Slater and stuff like this. People might not know about us show that got cancelled before its time breaking in. First season was certainly very good of that, where he was brilliant. And you've got Andrew Daly, Bobby Lee, John DiMaggio. So you got a bit of Bender in there. So cool. Yeah, so season two. It's Christian Slater who voices Reagan's father, who is an embittered drunk who used to be one of the primary operators of Cognito, the company Reagan works for. Basically stage manages conspiracy theories. I'm guessing Lizzie Kaplan is Reagan. Yeah, she is. And until he was ousted from a position, but he's still really bitter about it and is constantly plotting revenge. I think it's all, because even though it's based around the notion of conspiracies and that the strings of 
human and planetary development are being pulled by a very, very shadowy few. It's primarily a workplace comedy, just one where the stakes for screwing up are incredibly high. And there's a lot of fun playing with various well-known conspiracy theories. There's one episode where Reagan has to deal with this group of militant flat earthers, and another one based around the idea that all rich and famous celebrities are secretly lizard people. Just what's great about it is that every single one of the characters is completely screwed up in different amusing ways. There's one character who's this diehard patriotic soldier who volunteered for this procedure to have his DNA spliced with a dolphin <laughs> to give him the strength and intelligence of a dolphin. But it also ends up looking like a humanoid dolphin and also possesses the manual dexterity of one. No opposable thumbs then. Exactly. And it's that character who John DiMaggio voices. And there's another character who's a genius biochemist who is addicted to pretty much everything that he makes and spends most of every episode completely high and trying to get everybody else high as well. There's a sentient talking mushroom who is from Hollow Earth and is a part of the team because his body produces this, this chemical that the company uses in erasing people's memories of anything that they've seen. But one of the favourite things about it is actually with Reagan herself. She is, or at least my interpretation anyway, is that she's intended as a deconstruction of the mad scientist trope. She's at least partially bonkers, and at several points it's suggested with varying degrees of subtlety that she's also on the spectrum in some way. But as the series goes on, it becomes apparent that Reagan's character and general outlook is a result of her parents' utterly incompetent parenting, and left her completely screwed up and unable to function in any kind of way that most people would consider normal or human. And part of the humour is her trying to overcome this. There's one episode where she learns that the lizard people traditional greeting is hug each other because she's got physical boundary issues. So she solves this by creating herself a pair of robot arms to hug them instead. <laughs> Things like that. There's a lot of great ideas over the course of the series. It's really imaginative, it's really funny, and also very, very adult as well. Definitely not a kid's show. Okay, yeah, I'll put it on the list, I guess. The interesting thing here is they've announced season two, but season one hasn't even finished yet. They've released the first ten episodes in October, and the next ten episodes of season one will appear at some point. And then season two, further in the future, at some point. Well, it was my understanding that the ten episodes that have been released were just the first season. No, first half of the first season, according to Deadline. Inside Job was giving a 20-episode order when the series was announced and was split into two parts. The first ten episodes launched on October 22nd. Season one, part two, will premiere... TBA, and then season two over and above that. I completely missed this. There you go. Pays to read the articles sometimes. Yes. So you'll be watching season one, part two, and then season two, whenever that appears. Season two could be ages off because they haven't even announced when part two appears. Although, based on Netflix approach, they'll perhaps just randomly announce, yeah, it's on next week. But there is a first look at season one, part two that you can watch if you've seen season one, part one. Interestingly, that video has actually already appeared. It's the first couple minutes of what I can only assume will be the next episode. It references what happens at the end of the last episode that was streamed, and it's also a kind of neat inversion of how the first episode opened. Again, being annoyingly vague, but I don't want to spoil things for people who haven't watched it. Yeah, fair. But you can watch this video, this first look, and look forward to season one, part two, and then season two. So cool, we've got that. That's great stuff. There you go. You got your two things in, your two areas of expertise. I did, yes, and I feel incredibly special and knowledgeable. That's good. That's what I was going for. What I'll do is I'll try and wake myself up and then apologise to Aaron for falling asleep. 
in the middle of a news podcast. And I will attempt to swim my way back across to the dreamscape and see if I can find those lovely young women I left behind. Yeah, you can get back to your disgusting dream that none of us need to ever hear about. But based on logic, in another universe that we often talk about, whatever you dream about is happening somewhere in the multiverse, so... You can take comfort in that, or you can be really annoyed about that. It depends on your perspective. I think it would depend on what mood I'm in. <laughs> Even though it's not happening to me, me, it's still technically happening to me, so yay me. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, I must wake up. I will see you at some point in the waking world, perhaps. I have no doubt. Oh, sorry about that. I don't know what happened there. I just nodded off, but I'm back and all refreshed at Sandra in a dream so that's weird yeah as soon as you got too bored with me don't worry about it I just wandered off so it's fine I went and had my lunch fair enough okay so since I've just come off that what did you think of the Sandman trailer if you watched it I did watch it yeah I only avoided danger things because I didn't want the spoilers because of previous conversations so I did watch the Sandman it's showing me I think enough of the comic book that I read ages ago but I don't know it well enough and your visitation into other worlds there will give a much better description of that than I could so I can say that it did enough to remind me of the story that I remember and will see it some of these adaptions are hard for me though I actually really struggled with good omens which is kind of weird I remember watching good omens and thinking I'm not finding this funny I don't understand they mustn't have done the book at all they must have done something different and I went back and read the book and it was word for word the same and I thought oh I don't know what that means why did I enjoy the book but not the tv show if they're exactly the same so I don't know what to do with these things like the Sandman I think I'm just gonna have to watch it and specifically not read the source material beforehand and just see if it catches me the same way it did the first time sure okay we have made it out of trailers so what do you say we move on to one of our pillars of the website and the podcast the Marvel Universe. It used to be the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I've lumped all the Marvel-adjacent stuff under this banner these days because it's just yeah. easier from a structuring, a conversation mm-hmm. point of view. Bit of inside baseball for mm-hmm. you there. First up, we have the announcement that Marvel Studios has greenlit or commissioned the Thunderbolts movie. They've set the director, Jack Schreier, if that's how you pronounce his name. And it's going to be written by the Black Widow scribe, Eric Pearson. Not much is known about the plot of the film other than it revolves around a group of villains who are sent on missions commissioned by the government. Another element that remains vague is which characters will be part of that team. But a lot of people are assuming it's going to be people like Zemo, Yelena, Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp, the one MCU film you still haven't seen? I think I've seen it because I started watching it Mm. and thought this is really familiar. And now I've no idea. (laughs) I assume I've watched it. Who knows? Taskmaster, the Abomination, perhaps US Agent and the Winter Soldier. It also says here, General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross is also a possibility, hence the name, since he is the person in the comics who assembles the first team. But that is unconfirmed, as no deal for any actor has closed. Well, Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross won't be in it because the actor playing him, or who played him, is now dead. I thought that's what they meant by they haven't confirmed an actor deal. They were going to just bring a new actor on, which is probably a bit harsh because they said they wouldn't recast Black Panther. But, oh, yeah, General Thaddeus would totally recast him and screw that actor. So that sounds a bit mean. Any old guy with a moustache will do. (laughs) We don't mind. It could be anybody. The thing, I won't say quietly building to this, but it's one of the strong hints that is been cropping up that's why we've introduced john walker and all those people is yeah we'll do a gray avengers type story 
with these actors or with these characters and give you that. Because we've got the dark mirrors in a lot of ways. The Abomination Mirror of the Hulk, Winter Soldier and US Agent, which are Captain America, but not etc. It'd be funny a few years ago if they'd have done this because it would have been so those other guys tried suicide squad let's show them how it should have been done but it's too late because they've already had another go at suicide squad but it would have been funny yeah. about then if they'd have out suicide squad the suicide squad i mean they may still do maybe but that's going to be a tough order for general audiences based on how well received the other yeah. Suicide Squad movie was. It seems like a logical progression. They've definitely been building to Valentina mm. or whatever her name is. Has been sniffing out different people to form her own team by the looks of things. So yeah, it's not a surprise that they're doing. I mean, this. logically, they just have her as the main controller, and they can still be named after the guy who set up the program. He's passed now, and I'm in control of it. There's no reason not to just move in that direction. Should be a good enough I'm someone you can all hate and I'm in charge character. They've set that up pretty well. Yeah. Another thing they've commissioned is Wonder Man. It's the latest Marvel superhero to get the screen treatment. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings filmmaker Destin Daniel Cretton has teamed up with Andrew Guest, a right producer in comedy such as Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community, to tackle a live-action series featuring the longtime Marvel character. Wonder Man is one of Marvel's oldest characters, first introduced in 64 in the pages of Avengers number 9. He was initially a villain and only appeared sporadically, but was reconceived as a hero and Avenger in the late 70s. In the 80s, the character really came into his own, known as Simon Williams. He was a founding member of the LA-based West Coast Avengers, and with a look that included a turtleneck, red jacket and sunglasses, became a celebrity thanks to his day job as an actor and stuntman. Takes on the character for the Disney Plus series were not revealed. Marvel could steer the character down a Hollywood lane, make it a Hollywood satire basically, so far unexplored in the MCU, or it could set him up in the WandaVision type space, something the company has continued to explore. I like this character, really liked reading him in the 70s, and I wasn't alive in the 70s, but from those stories. So it's a good character. He was in that Avengers cartoon we both watched as well. Although I think he was a rejected yeah, as a scientist for that I don't one. remember him, but fair enough. So what do you think of this as an idea in general? Well, we've reached the problematic point of reaching the end of my knowledge. Because I don't have any knowledge of the character whatsoever, I'm working entirely on the idea of they might do some sort of pastiche of Hollywood. Okay, well, they could. I've had lots of other people have done that. That is not enough of an angle. I can't connect to it, I'm afraid to say. It might be amazing. But at the moment, I've got no connection. And this is potentially one of the points that I've been talking about over the years with these podcasts, which is the more and more superheroes they introduce, the weirder and wackier they have to get in order to make a splash. And I'm not interested in it descending into farce and becoming weird and strange and silly. I need that grounding. So there's the danger that these things just become too weird for me. And equally, if I add to that now... The more and more superheroes they have, the more normal it makes them. And I already thought Avengers 2 was what the Avengers did one Saturday afternoon. It was already, we've become normal. I didn't hate the film, but I didn't get loads out of it because it was just, they just do something. This is what happens now. Don't normalize it. I need it to have a bit of an emotional impact. I don't just want to see an action film because then there's nothing about it that makes it super. So at the moment, what you've spent describing me with Wonder Man is it just seems a bit normal, average. It's just going to make superheroes just another show. So I need more to awaken my interest, I'm afraid. Although the trepidation you've had for other things hasn't come to anything 
most of the time. So maybe you'll find that Marvel do it again. My fear that things have gone too strange and not been grounded has, yes, so far not been too much of an issue. Although, do you know the one thing that did save that? It was the fact that Thor 3 was just hilarious. Because Thor 3 was too wacky for me. And Guardians 2 was getting a bit too, "Mm, this is a bit meaningless. But I didn't expect to like every film, so not really liking Guardians 2 isn't really an issue. There were some good parts in it. But what really saved it from becoming too wacky was the fact that, yeah, Thor 3 was hilarious. Are they going to be able to avoid it that way by making all of these things hilarious? Wonder Man doesn't sound hilarious. So we'll see. You're right. So far, my fears have not been realized. But again, Shazam, it was hilarious when you start to go into things that are a bit stranger, a bit more wacky. It was saved by being funnier. I just don't know that this can carry on. But yeah, I need to just trust them, I guess. Superhero as celebrity is an angle, if that's the one they go down. That's something we haven't really seen before in the Marvel Universe. So yeah, why not? Unless they do that with somewhere else. I mean, I know the superheroes are celebrities in their own right and that's the foundational aspect of ms marvel she's a huge fan of captain marvel in particular but what i mean is there's not one that's exploiting their celebrity i suppose no it's not become the boys yet no and it wouldn't (laughs) that definitely wouldn't be the case but it could be he's used his powers to achieve fame and then what does that do to him and what does that do to his public image and whatever i don't know it's all there to play for and I think there's a story that can be told there and they're going to tell it or a story with that character. So we will see more as it develops. And since you mentioned Guardians 2, this is Guardians 3. We've got a couple of bits of casting there. Daniela Melchior, who was in The Suicide Squad as Ratcatcher 2. She's going to be in it in a small role, apparently. And the other one is Maria Bakalova, who was in Borat, subsequent movie film, which is something that I haven't seen and won't ever watch. So he's amassing a cast for this There's also an unannounced actor that is going to be in a major-ish role that James Gunn hasn't teased. So it sounds like he's having fun promoting the film that isn't out yet, as he does. He tends to have fun just marketing his stuff. Well, everybody does that. That's what they pay marketing departments for. Got some amazing news on this film. We've cast third actor from the left. Okay, okay. So, yeah, they all have to do it. (laughs) Fair enough, yeah. And his tradition of enjoying working with certain actors. Everybody does that too, I'm sure. Bring their fellows with them, so I can't hold that against him. When you have that bit of clout, yes. Let's move over to the less glamorous Marvel Universe adjacent thing with the Sony Marvel stuff. Tom Hardy's going to be writing or co-writing Venom 3. Doesn't say anything about it, but he teased an image with a picture of the script, which has a crudely drawn Venom face with a tongue Story by Tom Hardy and Kelly Marcel, written by Kelly Marcel. So he's going to have a go at throwing his hat into the narrative ring here, which yeah, I guess fine. Tom Hardy seems to enjoy this. The two films are fine. They're decent enough. Deadline speculates here that the tongue seems to form a letter S, which I think is reaching a little bit, which may suggest a crossover with Spider-Man. But that's all they do in these things in the marketing is they suggest crossovers with Spider-Man and then they don't happen. Well, again, it's literally their job. Make something seem truly amazing. If they didn't do that, then they would be fired. I don't think it's a great thing, but I can't deny that if you hire somebody to do that, then they are going to do it. Yeah, moving on, we have a bit of chat about Craven the Hunter. He was talking about something else, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, that is the guy who's playing Craven the Hunter. But he described as one of Marvel's most iconic, notorious anti-heroes, 
Spider-Man's number one rival. He said he found exciting the fact that this character is not an alien or a wizard, he's just a hunter, a human with conviction, an animal lover and a protector of the natural world. He's a very cool character. He added that unlike other Marvel movies, this one is shot entirely on location. Not sure that entirely means something by itself, but okay. It's what they all strive to do, though. Everybody is bemoaning the fact they can't shoot on location. So I think he's just <laughs> enjoying the fact they've managed it somehow. Yeah, a couple of things there. Craven isn't a character I have a lot of time for, really, but the idea of him being an animal lover, he's introduced to someone that has hunted everything on God's green <laughs> earth. And he wears a lion carcass yeah. as a costume. So I don't know if you can count that as being an animal lover. But in the tradition of Sony Marvel things, what probably will happen is the villain will be him, but inverse. Russell Crowe's playing his dad. He's probably the villain. He's probably a hunter that doesn't value animal life, who isn't an animal lover, and they will fight over that at some point. And there'll be powers that they have that are the same powers. And that's the way it'll be. I'm not sure what your story is here. Spider-Man isn't going to be in it. Your comment about Spider-Man's number one rival... Mm. Who cares because he's not going to be in it, presumably. So what is this? What are you making here? Are you making a film about a guy fighting off poachers? I mean, yeah, they could. They could totally just make him a hero. I could be massively cynical here like I have been throughout the rest of it. I feel like I need to hold back slightly, but we'll see. Well, I I think I've been cynical enough on it. I just don't see the point in much of this. Another thing that I don't quite see the point in, we've got another bits of casting for Madame Webb, so I don't know how much you know about either this film or the character. Do you know, I actually do know the character from the old cartoon that I used to watch. The 90s cartoon, Yeah. yeah. Where she's nothing like her comic book counterpart. Oh, really? She's not a cosmic being in the comics. She's just some mutant psychic who's blind. Oh, okay. In that case, I know less than I thought. <laughs> yeah, but they could equally be adapting that version. Who knows? They don't know anything about it. Dakota Johnson's playing the lead, which suggests to me it'll be one of the younger ones. It's a title that gets passed down oh, Okay. eventually, yeah. so it could be that. But they're amassing a really good cast, and these Marvel spin-off offshoot things seem to amass good cast you've got sydney sweeney and celeste o'connor the latest ones are isabella merced and emma roberts they're casting it what this is going to be about who knows but they are most definitely amassing a good cast for it that doesn't mean it'll be a good film i doubt it will be but they've managed to pique interest i do think that sony have some incriminating information on a lot of these actors <laughs> and drag them into the film somehow. I think it is a shame that they haven't gone with an older Madam Webb, though. How old is Dakota Johnson? She's certainly not old, or not a teenager. Yeah, early 30s, maybe, yeah. Right. But it does seem a shame that we couldn't have a character that is in a different age category to the young pretty people. I might have enjoyed just seeing one film that was about somebody who was in their 60s and trying to deal with the problem. I mean, I don't want them to really labour the point and make it an old person's problem, but I just think a bit of diversity. I know we all like to stare at young pretty people, but at some point, surely you have to have a different scenery, don't you? It could be that they just haven't cast the old Madam Web that will be passing the mantle down to the young Madam Web. Oh, but if they do that, the main character will still be the younger one taking the mantle. Yeah. So I still would have found it more interesting if they'd have said, no, let's actually have an older character. And I get that superhero stuff is all about action stuff and exciting throwing yourself off buildings and you're not going to get a 70-year-old doing that. So I do understand the limitation, but I don't know. Just still, something different. Madam Webb centering on Helen Mirren playing the lead role. (laughs) 
She's got enough TV role. She doesn't need it. But yeah, somebody. <laughs> I guess that's the problem when it's the women of a certain age in Hollywood. You only think of half a dozen men. Well, yeah. And how are you going to undo this problem if you don't actually try and put some effort into it? But anyway, yeah, that's a well-trodden path. There was a comment made when they were digging up the Next Generation cast for the third season of Picard. It's there's more roles than ever in Hollywood for actresses over 60. The problem is it's the same roles that those same actresses yeah. played when they were in their 30s. Absolutely. Yeah. Spider adjacent still. This is a bit more Spider-Man connected. We have some information about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. One of the villains is going to be the Spot, which makes sense for interdimensional stuff, a character that can leap through realities. The visual style of the first film is incredible and this is in keeping with that. They're bringing in other characters such as Spider-Man 2099 who will be voiced by Oscar Isaac as he was in the post-credits in the last one. Jessica Drew Issa Rae voicing her as well. So they're really expanding it and apparently they've got millions upon millions which is perhaps a bit of a exaggeration. But they've got loads of different universes they're going to bring in. You've got Shia Wiggum voicing Gwen's father, so they're going to be going more into her universe. The Vulture is going to be there. It seems like it's going to be very busy, but I have faith that they'll manage to balance it because they did really well the first time. Visually amazing film and really ambitious, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, it's good to see it carry on, certainly. It's appropriate that we ended with a universe hopping thing because it's hop over to the DC universe. In this case, it's certainly a rumour. I don't think it's been explicitly confirmed yet, but it looks like if they eventually ever release that Flash movie that is had more release dates than I've had hot dinners, I suppose is one of the things you could say. But it seems like after that, they will not be moving on with Ezra Miller as the lead anymore. They've, as a studio, cut ties because they are making headlines in a lot of really unflattering ways and it's really damaging the reputation of this film and the studio that are backing them. There's all this stuff about they've tried to get Ezra Miller help and either they've refused or it isn't taking in some way. I've not seen anything... On any of this, actually, it's something that passes me by because some people get cancelled for the minorest of thing, and then other people get cancelled because they've turned out to be truly awful. And fair enough, can't really complain about the second one. I've actually not seen the headlines about them to know whether they're one of the people that have been cancelled because of some sort of minor transaction or because they've done something truly horrendous. So it's a tricky one. To comment on. I'm not going to go into all of it, but there's been some really concerning things. It's a lot of violence and things like that. For example, the parents of an 18-year-old filed paperwork asking a judge to issue an order of protection against the actor on behalf of their child, saying Miller groomed and brainwashed them. Ezra uses violence, intimidation, threat of violence, fear, paranoia, delusions and drugs to hold sway over a young adolescent. That's just one of them. Mm, so, yeah, okay, that's concerning. The actor was arrested twice in Hawaii for a dust-up at a karaoke bar followed by an arrest for second-degree assault at a residence a month later for allegedly throwing a chair at a woman at a private party, cutting her forehead. Pretty intense stuff. I think there's some deep-seated psychological issue there that isn't being treated, and probably for the best that they don't continue on with Ezra Miller in this role. It's funny, all the fans crying out for, oh, let's get Grant Gustin in the films. (laughs) No, let him go. What does Grant Gustin want to do? Does he want to be playing The Flash, but not that same Flash for another 10 years? I'm going to guess not. Yeah, how old is he now? Be the flesh in his 50s, that will be a bit of a problem. He'll be in his 30s now. I'm not sure how old he is, but yeah, it's nine years he'll be doing the flash. Ten years, I think, if you include the COVID delays. So, no, <laughs> let's not have Grant Gustin in the role anymore. He did his time and he did it well, even though the show has passed its best quality-wise. 
There's still no issues with him, really. Get someone else. There's other actors. Is it one of those things, though, that by the time they open the door to the multiverse, they can just take whichever Flash they want? Because if there's going to be three or four Flashes in the film, then you just carry on. Pick one from there. Re-edit it so it's now a Michael Keaton Batman film that has the Flash in it. (laughs) They could completely change their entire cast, if they want to. (laughs) Yeah. Moving on, the Joker sequel is announced. This is something that you may be excited by, but also may not be excited by. It's one of those double-edged lightsabers, I think. Certainly the title in the script was Joker Foley Adieu, referencing the medical term for an identical or similar mental disorder that affects two or more individuals, usually members of the same family. And the rumour is, well, it's more than a rumour, but she has been cast as possibly Harley Quinn, who could be driven mad by Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. And again, the further rumour is that the film will be also a musical. So what do you think of that? I know you hate musicals. I do hate musicals, but it's a funny thing. When I like a musical, I really like it. So it's just a Marmite issue for me. It just also happens that 95% of musicals, I think, are truly awful. So if they just create, as obviously is a problem just by saying it, but an average musical, then yes, I'm going to think that was just a gimmick and that was a waste of time. But the nature of the first film that I really enjoyed and the nature of the character where it is descent into madness, where mental health is a topic that I do enjoy seeing done well in story, leads me to believe that I could really enjoy this. I don't want to just see another Joker film. I enjoyed the fact that the original Joker film was different to what was being on offer before. But if you just create a sequel, then you will have the sequel problem. Why did you just make another one? You've just undermined what you were doing. So if they are going to do another one, then I do want to see it do something strange and interesting again. And a musical could make it so. They've teased enough that his mental state is completely broken all the way through and the ending to the which i won't spoil but the ending to the first film does make you think how much of that was actually real if they then go into a whole film where it is well actually how much of this second film is real given that any time any of them start singing it's probably in someone's head it could lead you into a total mind bender of a story which would be really fun to unpack so i would say this is one of the things i'm most interested in out of everything we've picked up so far as you know i didn't like the first joker film and we never had a recorded reckoning where we discussed it but that is on the cards at some point well yeah sign me up we have a trial concept that we're going to make some episodes out of whenever time allows and that is one of them. It wouldn't be me, though, actually having that discussion with you. Cat is up to the docket as the prosecutor of Joker, where you're the sure. defence. So we're going to do that at some point. I don't know when, but we're going to do it. But I can't say I'm all that excited about this because I didn't like the first one. We're going to leave our pillars now because the CW have been pretty quiet over the last month. They've cancelled everything, so there's nothing left to kill. So we're going to move on and talk a little bit about Star Wars. And this is an unsubstantiated rumour, but I think it's Maybe appropriate just to reference it quickly anyway. There's a rumour that they're going to do a Disney Plus spin-off series from Obi-Wan Kenobi about the character Reva, who achieved some controversy online more because people were just being racist towards the actor for no reason at all, other than the fact that people say, are yeah, Welcome to the internet. There are horrible people. Yeah. yeah, and you could argue that the Obi-Wan Kenobi show was actually a Reva show or a stealth Reva show. 
in a lot of ways. She certainly has a major role in it. Do I want to see her in a spin-off show? Not really. I feel like I got enough out of her as a character. I can only say that I would have written her whole part of Obi-Wan differently. And because of that, there's still plenty that could have been done that I could still enjoy. So only because they didn't give me what I was expecting in Obi-Wan would I say, I think there's something there. But equally, somebody who is trying to turn good from dark is always going to be potential good soil for a story. So there's something that could be grown there. Can they make it new, different and interesting? I don't know. I would say it's possible. I wouldn't turn away from it just because. No, I'm not saying there's not a story you can tell about that character now that the particular arc she had in that show is wrapped up. It just depends if that interest can be sustained over something else. Certainly a show of her own. I don't know the answer to that. We'll find out if they ever decide to make it, I suppose. Okay, let's move on. This is one that I, for some reason, had on the list the last two months and kept skipping over for, I don't know why. It just kept happening. It was, oh no, I didn't do that one and left it on the next month and then it happened again. But we're doing it now. It's in front of me and I'm reading it. So, fine. Bong Joon-ho's follow-up film to his Oscar-winning Parasite is gaining quite the ensemble. Sources tell Deadline that Tony Collette and Mark Ruffalo are in final negotiations, along with Naomi Ake. They'll be joining Robert Pattinson in the next feature. The untitled film is based on the novel Mickey Seven. And Mickey Seven is about... The novel story follows Mickey Seven, who is an expendable, a disposable employee on a human expedition sent to colonise the ice world Niflheim. Not the same one that you hear about in Thor, I imagine. Whenever there's a mission that's too dangerous, even suicidal, the crew turns to Mickey. After one iteration dies, a new body is regenerated, with most of his memories intact. After six deaths, Mickey Seven understands the terms of his deal and why it was the only colonial position unfilled when he took it. Sounds like an interesting idea. And it's amassing a good cast. Yeah, I would watch it for that. I can say I did enjoy Parasite for the most part. It was one of those films that... You're watching, you're watching, yeah, this all makes sense, yeah, this makes sense. It's suddenly gone really over the top and strange. I'm not a big fan of that. To me, it, it was social commentary and then just went completely nuts. So I'd, I'd rather than any follow-up film didn't have that same concern. But I think I'm alone in that because pretty much the entire Academy thought that it was the best thing they'd ever seen since the light spread. So they weren't worried about it. But either way. Everything else enjoyed about it. And if it's a good story and, and it's pulled in some good names, again, that's fertile soil for something. So, yeah, I would totally watch it. I haven't seen Parasite, but I quite like the sci-fi angle on this one. So it seems like something I would give a go. It reminds me of Moon, actually, conceptually. Similar sort of idea because, spoilers, but that film's about clones that are put into hazardous situations. Well, that's one of the things that it's been too long since I've seen it, but yeah, probably. Moving on, we have more casting for June, which is amassing the best cast ever made, it seems. June part two. Between the two parts, it's everybody who's everybody almost. But Leia Sudu is the next one, and she'll play potentially Lady Margot if she's cast, if that's finalised. Lady Margot is a long-standing servant of the Sisterhood, which is all it says about her. But the Sisterhood are a big deal, and there's going to be a spin-off show that focuses on that aspect of it, so... Big deal. Yeah, successful first film from my perspective. Carry on. It's already got your ticket investment, I guess. Well, this is it, yeah. They can't really persuade me to watch it based on signing other people. I'm already invested. Preaching to the choir. Yeah. Moving on, Face Off 2 is happening. Adam Wingard has confirmed that the sequel will actually be a sequel to the original, where Nicolas Cage will be presumably involved. He was speaking to Empire talked about Nicolas Cage he says he's just having such a moment even before Pig came out which is a great film 
We saw this as a Nicolas Cage movie that's become totally the obvious way to go now. A couple of years ago, the studio maybe would have wanted a hot young up-and-coming actor or something. Now Nicolas Cage is one of the hottest actors in Hollywood again. Is he? We're really honing in on the script. We're not going to share it until everyone's like, this is the one I think we really got it. It's been probably the most challenging script we've ever worked on for a lot of reasons. Blah, blah, blah. So that's happening. I'm actually surprised that Face Off didn't become a pseudo-franchise of just two big actors swapping faces every few years. Still surprised that didn't happen. But the interesting thing is, I think it's very rare in Hollywood that an actor has a defined personality that is enough to suggest that put these two in a film and have them swap faces and have fun with them playing each other. That's quite rare now, I think. Yeah, I don't know if celebrity is the same as it used to be, or is it just because there's so many people that we don't attach? Yeah. Or movie stars, I suppose, is the same, yeah. Would you do swap Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pratt and have fun with that? You must still have people that always do films together. What's the... I've forgotten the name now. The Pack. It's obviously a play on the Rat Pack, but there's the Something Pack. Maybe you could get you could just pack. do a massive switcheroo with all six or seven of them, however many there are. Sure, they could have fun with it. But it looks like they're just going to have fun doing Nicolas Cage and someone else's face again, which is a choice. You could turn that into your Fast and Furious franchise, where there's just ten or eleven films with him keeping switching faces with people. Yeah, that sounds like something Nick Cage could pull off. Yeah, and I'm surprised that it hasn't happened already. They just did this once and then never again. The original's pretty okay. Okay, let's move on to the film that everybody is talking about, the Barbie movie. They unveiled the first picture of Ken, or Ryan Gosling's Ken. There's going to be multiple Kens in the film, but we see the first picture of Ken, and it's a very striking image. He almost looks plastic, the doll blonde hair and whatever else. It's really quite something, and... It does make me really fascinated to see this movie just based on that image because it is the, wow, they're really, really going for this. I managed to completely miss this. So is this film something whereby they're also trying to point out the problem with dolls and false images of people? Or are they actually giving us new Barbie, which I'm pretty sure I saw news reports to suggest that the doll franchise has moved on and made her a more reasonable size and she has a proper job and this, that and the other. Yeah, I don't know. There's no details on what the film is going to be. Or is that not? I would presume the image and associations and stuff is all part of that because three actors are going to be playing different versions of Ken, for example. But the Barbie brand is still being sold, isn't it? They're not going to want people going and saying, let's make fun of Barbie and say how stupid it is that image is still being hailed. They're not going to sell any dolls from that, apart from some sort of doll-burning exercise, which would be horrendous. <laughs> well, the closest analogue is the Lego movie, which is reverent to Lego, but also makes fun of it in a way and points out about the whole imagination aspect and how not to get lost in it and things like that. So it does have a bit of satire to it. And the Barbie film could do that as well. Mm, Fair enough. And if you haven't already, I would say open the second image that I put on Agenda, because that shows Brian Gosling and Margot Robbie in rollerblading outfits. It's a similar vibe, but I would say just have a look at that and just see how how loony it is. No, I'm not really getting anything there. The second image is more of the same vibe, I suppose, and it does seem like they will be... I don't even know. Will they be satirising it? What is this film about? No one actually knows. Yeah, I'm interested to know. I don't know if it controls whether I'll see the film or not, but I'm interested to know. Well, it's out the same day as Oppenheimer, which is apparently a choice we all have to make. Do we go see Barbie or Oppenheimer on that release day? Double feature. Team, why not both? There's more than two hours in a day, (laughs) however long these films are. This is one that you may be interested in coming up. Lindsay Beer is going to write and direct a reboot of Sleepy Hollow for Paramount. 
she is set to reboot the classic horror title Sleepy Hollow, the tale about the headless horseman who terrorises small town and its newest resident Ichabod Crane has seen many iterations over the decades, including the 1949 Disney animated movie and the 2010's Fox TV series. The most popular one, which is the one that I've seen, was produced by Paramount in 1999 and starred Johnny Depp as Crane with Tim Burton directing. That's the one that I've seen. But you've watched the TV show, which is its own thing, isn't it? I have seen the TV show. I enjoyed it early on. And like a few of these things, maybe they feel like they lose their way a bit. When the main actress heads off, you're thinking, oh, that's not a good sign as well. <laughs> but it's got so many reboots because there's been they say, so many films, so many TV series. And I'm uncertain what new angle is being proposed here. Historical period drama. Are they going to go proper horror with it? It's been through too many iterations already for me to be massively excited by it. I need them to come out and say more about what their angle is, and then maybe I can get involved. Possibly not encouraging was that her directorial debut was the Pet Cemetery prequel, which was apparently not very good. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, wait. No, that was a Pet Cemetery remake that wasn't very good. Forgive me. The Pet Cemetery prequel is due to be out this year at some point. But she's one of the most sought-after writers in Hollywood, recently working on the new Star Trek film for Paramount, if that'll ever see the light of day. She also recently turned in a draft for the remake of Bambi for Disney and Hello Kitty for New Line. People want to work with her. Well, that's promising, but still need to know more. Yes, but conceptually you might be interested. Yes, it is possible. This next one is one that I was hoping to lock Kat down for for a quick chat about, and I will ask her about it next time she appears. They're doing a spin-off of Teen Wolf many years later, and of course they're doing a film on Paramount Plus as well. But they've cast Armani Jackson, Bella Shepard, Chloe Rose Robertson, Tyler Lawrence Gray to play the leads of the streamers... Paramount Plus, that is. Upcoming Supernatural team drama series, so it's a spin-off of Teen Wolf. It revolves around werewolves and developed by television, blah, blah. It's unconnected to his... Well, it's unconnected to Teen Wolf. It's instead based on the book series of the same name. The show focuses on two teenagers who are caught in a wildfire and are wounded by a supernatural creature. In the aftermath, they discover their werewolves and develop an intense bond together. The two team up and encounter two other teenagers, the adoptive children of a park ranger who went through a similar strange wildfire 16 years ago. I didn't read the article before we came here tonight, but I think I can be forgiven for assuming it was a spin-off. I have to say there, I don't know what to do with it. It's another It's another werewolf show. Good, lovely. I can't. Ah, that's my commentary. That's my actual commentary. <laughs> What's it going to be? Is it going to be any good? Is it just going to be CW-esque on Paramount Plus? But pretty people that become werewolves sometimes. Kat has a lot to say and a lot of love for the Team Wolf show and she likes the creative mind behind it. So that'll be encouraging for people. In that case, people that agree with that should totally watch because they agree with that. Even on that, I can't offer you a good chat, I'm afraid. The next thing is, it's something we've talked about before, actually, but probably not for a number of years, or not this specifically, but The Hunger Games. They're doing a prequel Hunger Games movie, and there's two bits of casting for it. Rachel Zegler, interestingly, announced her casting in a tweet, where she used the first letter of each word in her tweet to spell out the character's name. Don't know if she was directed to do that by marketing or whether she came up with that by herself, but pretty cool. It's adapted from the book of the same name, which is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is not a very Twitter-friendly name because it's very long. It takes place decades before Katniss Everdeen's adventures in The Hunger Games, so Jennifer Lawrence will be nowhere near this, you would assume. It's the story of Coriolanus Snow, so President Snow as he is in The Hunger Games book, 
an ambitious boy who eventually becomes a tyrannical leader of the dystopian country of Pan Am. As previously announced, Tom Blythe will play the young Snow. In the upcoming movie, 18-year-old Snow is chosen to mentor Lucy Gray, the female tribute from the impoverished District 12, during the 10th Hunger Games. Another bit of casting is Schaefer Jones, who was in Euphoria, and she will be playing Tigress Snow, the cousin and confidant of Snow. So they're going to give us the Hunger Games again, as in we will see the games, an earlier iteration thereof, but we'll see them. Is it going to be one of those things where they won't fully commit to the growth of a villain? I haven't read the book, but... It seems like there's a lot of these things that promise this is a villain origin story and then it turns out not to be a villain origin story because you have to make them sympathetic in some way. Can't we have something where they make them unsympathetic? Because Snow is an awful person in the Hunger Games books and films. A good downfall should be tragic and something worth watching. If they do do that, then I might be able to enjoy it. I don't remember enjoying The Hunger Games as a book or series. I'm not saying I thought it was bad. I'm just saying I don't remember it, which means I didn't love it. But that wouldn't put me off watching this because I say a good tragic downfall would be a great story. But yeah, as you say, I don't know if they'll commit to it or not. I've not read that book either. I like The Hunger Games books, or I like the first two. The third one I'm not keen on. And I don't like any of the films. Mm. Even though I've seen them all. So I don't know what to make of all this, but it's a franchise that's been lying fallow for a little while and there are prequels, so sure, why not make this? The actors involved are good. Rachel Zegler, she made her debut in West Side Story. She did a really good job, so we could see her sink her teeth into something else. Something very different. Big news for Ghostbusters fans, as they are planning to do an animated film, a sequel to Afterlife, and something else as well. The new animated film is based on Ghostbusters IP and being developed by Jason Reitman and Keenan, along with Sony Pictures Animation. It doesn't say anything about it, but the sequel to 2021's Ghostbusters Afterlife, a film I did not like, has got the working title Firehouse, and it'll return to New York City and the iconic Firehouse setting of the original films. And as of today, they announced that the release date will be December 20th, 2023. Oh, and the other one is Ghostbusters animated series. So there's an animated film, animated series, and a sequel. So Ghostbusters everywhere. I mean, if they're trying to re-engage youth audience that will watch a new animated series, then I understand what they're doing. It's a cheer one, though. It's one of those ones that you're thinking, can you possibly reconnect with the old audience it just doesn't seem like you can but they are not going to stop trying the one hope for this is although it sounds like it will be very nostalgic because we're back in the firehouse and the ghostbusters are operating again but hopefully they'll lean into the here's how we take this forward rather than let's lean on the cast of before and the concepts of before and so on i mean that works to a point i actually think the most interesting thing about ghostbusters afterlife was when it was focusing on the newer characters and when it wasn't leaning on the original film. I've said this before about the original film, but it's been canonised as this reverent, important work, where it was just a bit of a Saturday Night Live spin-off, where Bill Murray and his mates were having fun just playing around with the concept, and it's the idea of exorcism as pest control, which is in itself just a very simple concept, and it just seems to have ballooned into this giant thing that it was never intended to be, and I think that hurts any future iterations of the storytelling. So hopefully they just move away from that, but it doesn't seem like they will. If they go back to an animated kid series, though, then it should return to just being fun, because that's what the kids are going to watch. So there's hope for that. It's the sequel that I'm worried about, but we'll see how it pans out. It's just that they're making this, and that's all we really know. Speaking of 
reverence and nostalgia bait. The next thing is possibly something that might annoy you. Masters of the Universe Revolution, the next chapter in the never-ending battle between He-Man and Skeletor. Never-ending, there's a statement. Yeah, it's set to be a follow-up to Netflix series Master of the Universe Revelations, which you said you hated, that ran for two parts on the streaming service in 2021. Revelation started as a spiritual sequel to the 80s cartoon continuing many of the unresolved threads. Was there any unresolved threads that were left hanging after the show's 1985 conclusion? This brand new series will serve as a sequel, with many of the same people who made that series returning for the latest rendition. It's executive produced by Kevin Smith, once again, and it doesn't say much. It's an all-new story that brings the focus of He-Man versus Skeletor like you've never seen them before. Technology versus magic as He-Man and the heroic warriors there, face the forces of Skeletor, a deadly threat, yeah. I didn't hate it. I couldn't bring myself to hate it. It wasn't worth it. It was just such a nothing show. That was part of my problem with it. It was epitomized by his interview that he did afterwards. They did a special where he talked about the creation of it. And it was just like, I'm not going to apologize for creating a woke show. Good for you. You created a show that was woke, but forgot to put a plot in. That's a shame. You just made it boring. <laughs> he just wanted applause for being woke. Sorry, that's not good enough. You actually need to build a show as well. And his highlights were how many times he killed the main character. Oh, good. You've got a Sesame Street <laughs> counter going to get the count going and one times two kills okay wonderful yes that's good too and then the other bit where he comes on is all self-effacing about oh i wrote this almost nothing script and it's come to the actors to really bring it to life using their great skills and i'm praising the actors whilst trying to be humble about my script and i'm thinking oh no don't admit your script's a bit naff because i just believe you because i'm sure he didn't mean that but he was being all humble and self-effacing. And Fred had took him at face value. So I can't bring myself to hate it. All I can tell you is I thought it was banned for He-Man because it was just so bland and nothing. So I'm afraid I'm not excited. I've already moved on. So you won't be watching this then? There's no point. I could understand it if I was going to watch it to build up the hate. Maybe that would be an emotional reaction. But I'm just going to be sitting there looking at my phone. So no, sorry. No, sure. Okay. Oh, can you hear that? It sounds like the TARDIS is appearing. My summoning worked again. I managed to summon Isaac from somewhere across time and space. How good is that? I'm just going to get another sandwich. Right, okay. Yeah, well, Isaac lands and another chat, so I'll see you in a bit. Isaac, right on time. I guess you got my message that I carved into a diamond mountain. Yeah, we're making a habit of these little drop-ins whenever there's filming news. I'm running out of creative ways to leave messages across time and space. Just go back in history and kill the version of you that's carving into the previous one. That will start some kind of paradox, won't it? Maybe that will summon you. I'll just create a paradox. Maybe. So, Doctor Who, there's some news for the article I'm going to refer to that will kick off this thing because you will be more well versed in what else is going on than I am is that Neil Patrick Harris is going to be recording scenes around the 60th anniversary which doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be in the 60th anniversary we'll talk about that in a bit I think because I think they're being very deliberate with our language but who knows but apparently he is going to be playing a character that is the greatest enemy the doctor has ever faced and there's a picture of him revealed with old agey makeup with weird glasses he looks a bit shifty what do you think of this i love neil patrick harris so glad he's going to be in it and there's already a higher caliber of guest stars now that russell t davies is back rather than what chris shibnall got which was chris north i think that was his biggest guest get stephen fry i suppose yeah stephen fry lenny henry but yeah neil patrick harris is uh yeah really because obviously he's 
he worked recently with Russell T. Davis in uh, It's a Sin. Yes. Like I said, an excellent get for a, I'm assuming, major villain. <laughs> the greatest enemy the Doctor has ever faced. How many times have exactly. you said that before? Every season, the greatest enemy the Doctor has ever faced. <laughs> but this is the next one. The working theories I've come across are that he might be another face of the Great Intelligence or he might be the Valyard, which is the weird in-between incarnation that yes, put so on trial, I think. Something like that. In Colin Baker times, Valyard, he was in between the 12th and 13th Doctors, which doesn't really work anymore. One of the rumours, there is a character very similar to the Great Intelligence. There's a series of Doctor Who villains scattered throughout both the original and new series called The Eternals. It's just like an umbrella group, usually for any character that's kind of like a god. Just like in Marvel Comics. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. It's that idea. It's when they need an ultra-powerful person. There's one called the Toymaker, who's the first one. Or well, the first time one of these characters appeared in the show in 1964, I think, or five. One of the two. That's the biggest rumour based on number one, that pitch that they released a thingy where he's got the pliers, bits of gear on his apron and stuff. And again, they released another picture for his birthday. He was filming on his birthday. And he's wearing a sort of old-fashioned tuxedo with a made-up kind of like dummy face, painted on eyebrows and accentuated lips and eyes and stuff. And also it's considerably younger looking than the first picture. So it is looking like this is someone who can take a form. They're not limited to one form. Example Returnals that have shown up. Great Intelligence and Flux, we had time. And if you remember Series 11 or Series 12, there was a story called Can You Hear Me? which featured Zelen, the bald man with detachable fingers. Oh, yeah. Toymaker's mentioned in that one as well, but he's one of the Eternals. So they're kind of showing up a bit more. If you could map the current series on the old series, they're getting very history-repeating-itself sort of thing. These characters tend to show up when you need a bigger and bigger threat because they can basically do anything. This is like, yeah, throw some gods in. Uh, another thing that's sort of going with this idea of the Toymaker is he can create any realm to create their own games and no laws apply. At the time, they filmed all the way throughout the year, so they needed the actors to take holidays. And one of the Toymaker's games was taking Stephen, the male companion at the time, and he made him into a jigsaw. And when they put him back together, they put the wrong face on the jigsaw <laughs> character. With a creative way of allowing the actor to take two, three weeks off while another actor runs around as Stephen for a bit. Okay. <laughs> I think with a lot of the stuff we have, again, also filming the series, we have the return of David Tennant. I don't know if they've released any official pictures, but his costume is different. He's got a... A new coat, yeah. A tartan coat, blue. We have Yasmin Finney as Rose. Again, not yet been mentioned if this is someone else called Rose. It'd be a coincidence if there's no connection between David Tennant's Rose and this Rose. We have Donna with... The Rose character, there is some rumour that maybe it's Donna's daughter and Rose is a fragment of the memory. People's theory is going a bit wild. You think maybe it's some latent memory she might have had of knowing the Doctor and pick that name as a possibility for choosing that name, I guess? Yeah, I don't want to see too much of the filming stuff because sometimes it kind of ruins the fun, but I'll check it for this. Apparently they've mostly been filming their scenes together, those two actresses, and you've had also other members of... Donna's family, like Bernard Cribbins, has made appearances. So I think the sort of idea is that she's in that family in some way. So that's kind of why everyone's leaning towards this. But with the Doctor suddenly having 
David Tennant's face, with the return of old companions, it's leaning again into this idea that it could be a universe or a realm ruled by someone who can change things at their whims. They can be reverting the Doctor back, they can be picking old faces, they could be doing stuff with the companions. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that we are getting the return of the villain, the toy maker, who can just control the world at a whim, which would be fun. I think it'd be a shame if they're getting David Tennant back and he's not actually playing the Doctor, though. That would be really disappointing. It's, oh, yeah, he's just some villain or whatever. Or maybe he's just time looking like that version of the Doctor for some reason or anything that's not he's playing the Doctor. It could just be that they pluck him out for an adventure where he's just wearing different clothes. He did that sometimes. It could be. I think they have said he's returning to the Doctor role. Yeah. But they haven't said the 10th Doctor. They've just said he's back as the Doctor. And then, yeah, Donna's back as Donna. That's confirmed as well. But could be either the 13th or the 14th Doctor with the faces moved out, or they could be just pulling older generations back or something. Like I said, it could be as simple as, yeah, just for a while he put a different suit on. <laughs> yeah, because he did that sometimes. He was the trendiest doctor, wasn't he, in terms of he would change his clothes to suit the situation he was in sometimes? Yeah, him and Peter Capaldi were quite fashionable. I think he sort of started off the trend of, he had like a brown suit or a blue suit. Or tux. For or tux, yeah. But I think for a return special, if they were bringing him back and giving him a new suit we hadn't seen before... It'd be a bit weird. <laughs> Could be a new character for, again, sorry, going back to Neil Patrick Harris, but it's hard to speculate on a new character. <laughs> so it's always speculating on the old ones. Got to say, I love what Russell T. Davies is doing to promote the show. He's doing more in these past few weeks than Shibnall did in the entire run, really. It's hard to tell because a lot of it is currently just being filmed in the centre of London. It's like they can't not say David Tennant's back and then be filming him running <laughs> around and stuff. Though another thing is... He has said a lot of the rumours for the 14th Doctor casting were him and his team just putting names out there. All right, okay. After they announced Neil Patrick Harris and not said who he was, part of the set was added to include a toy shop with Toy Maker of the Year written on the sign next to it. <laughs> Could just be a big old tease. Exactly. If they were going to do that, we need to announce him. We need the Toy Maker's toy shop with the word Toy Maker on it. You just announce he's doing that role. So again, people are sort of going like, maybe this is just some set dressing, but with that design, maybe they just put that there to trick people. There was another one quite recently, a very niche and never on TV villain, who is a giant rabbit called Beep the Meep <laughs> from Marvel Comics did some Doctor Who comics in around the 1970s. And one of these comic villains was called Beep the Meep, and it was just a giant space rabbit and a giant rabbit's been seen filmed <laughs> but again is this just what well, t davis knows people are watching everything they're filming it could be a big rabbit it could be a big toy rabbit that's been toy maker and gone all crazy could be a guy running a marathon in a big rabbit <laughs> costume and it's a red herring but i think there's a lot or at least i hope there's a lot of stuff that we're seeing or that's been seen on filming that's just to mess with the internet it's a weird thing to budget in but i like to think that he has the money to go like just wheel out a dalek and like leave it in an alley <laughs> and just see what happens <laughs> it's not in the story but just put one there well he was always fond of putting little winks and nods that didn't have anything to do with the story itself it's just you see a sign or whatever but he's also quite good at generating hype and it's weird the stuff you're talking about is only going to really entice a subset of the fandom. Anybody that even started with the 2005 series 
won't know any of what's being talked about here. So it'll just be like, I don't know what any of this means. And Neil Patrick Harris, the picture they've released doesn't really tell you anything. Other than it kind of looks very Doctor-ish in a way because it is a clear look, if you know what I mean. It's a bit like when, when they put pictures of Bill Nye and he's like, look, he's got a bow tie, maybe he's the Doctor. Yeah, it's a deliberately Doctory look <laughs> that they've given him in that one. Or mastery look or whatever. It's, yeah, Time Lordy. But I think with the other ones going out, in that one, he's kind of old. He has the little glasses. It's kind of the guy who made Pinocchio-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Giuseppe? Geppetto. Geppetto, yeah, like the woodworker thing. And then again, yeah, I will follow the other image of him filming where he's set up as a much younger man. It could be a case of this one looks doctory because it, it's a mockery or it's a go. <laughs> but I think if they did, I'd really like it if it was that character because it does sound like it's just a really fun idea. I don't know if we've tried about this, but they haven't said it's just one special. Yeah, they've said scenes around the 60th anniversary, which suggests that there's things happening that aren't in the 60th anniversary. And one of the things I read was it could be a series of maybe shorts or maybe even episodes that are setting up the plot. So you have the 10th Doctor, for example, David Tennant picks up a part of the plot that's then something for whoever the main Doctor, Shuti Gatwa, I guess, to remember later on. Sort of an extended version of that bit in the 50th where the Doctors have all been working on the calculations whenever they've got five minutes across all their lives. Yeah, it is a thing I'd really love to see them do on TV. They do it a lot with the Big Finish work because it's much easier because you have access to every Doctor. doesn't cost a fortune to connect them and stuff. Yeah, it'd be great to see on TV a story start with David Tennant's Doctor. Maybe Pierre Capaldi picks it up for an episode. It's like, oh yeah, I remember this like 200 years ago. And then yeah, Shooty Gatwa has to solve a plan that could span a whole incarnations of the Doctor. And they all get wrapped up. They could even do it out of order. That'd be also very fun. David Tennant's episode could be episode two of a trilogy and maybe Shooty Gatwa or Matt Smith or someone. A later Doctor does earlier things and then remembering forward what we as the audience haven't seen yet, but that character's experience. It's a good excuse to go really fun with the time travel and tell the story backwards in a way which would be entertaining yeah because we've never really had that before we've had this non-linear continuity before in the sense that the word bad wolf gets mentioned everywhere or the word torchwood gets mentioned everywhere and then you see the creation of torchwood after it's already been mentioned sort of thing but they've never really done a thing where a story spans multiple doctors really because it all gets wrapped up within a single season which is fair enough because that's the way that television works but it could be interesting to have i started investigating this a few lives ago and then i lost track of it and now it's back again that could be really cool yeah it's a great way again this new series has been on yes like i said 2005 it'll have been 18 years (laughs) it's running out of new things to do so it would be a, a lot of fun to have a multiple doctor spanning story that's not just like oh yeah they meet up again and have some banter it's actually like oh yeah no this takes place over a significant portion of the whole lives yeah and they're just dipping in and out of it and they've established there's infinite lost doctors they haven't said how many times the doctor has regenerated since the joe martin incarnation or even before that and things like that so there's certainly lives where they were known as the doctor without remembering that they were known as the doctor so their earliest memory is being william hartnell and choosing that name and leaving yeah there is space like i said not just with joe martin they could get let's go say a big name there <laughs> could be neil patrick harris <laughs> it could be yeah. it could be a particular mean one the first american doctor yeah yeah i mean there's no real 
greater threat to the doctor than another doctor. With an American accent, even. With an American accent, yeah. I'd like to see them follow through on the promise of the war doctor, because I don't think they did. We'll probably do an episode on the 50th anniversary at some point probably before the 60th, I think it'd be good to talk about it. But as a summary, I think watching the trailers and stuff, you expected him to be quite a nasty dude. He's a guy that fights in a war. But instead, he's just a nice old man who draws on walls. Yeah, he's just a nice old man. Yeah. He definitely wasn't particularly like a cold general or yeah, a... a hardened soldier. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah, maybe he's like, oh, he's happy to send this squadron of people in to die or whatever. So he has to think on a universal scale or something, a distant uncompassionate one but you're just a friendly granddad (laughs) i think moffat was too afraid to compromise the doctor as he was so it's he is still the doctor he borrows a gun so he can draw on a wall but he he won't actually shoot anybody with it yes stephen moffat's doctor was quite godlike yeah (laughs) i think more than the other showrunners even when the doctor does wrong it's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah even the well russell t davies this was him but the time lord victorious lasted all of five minutes yeah they always sort of go like oh but what if but then that's fine (laughs) don't worry about it yeah we don't want to commit to that but i would like to see them commit to that and then you could do that with another incarnation a disposable doctor that just exists to be the reprehensible one i suppose from what i've heard you've kind of had that with the valyard or valyard however you pronounce it when he was about he was the corrupted mid-regeneration or something like that. Yeah, no, it wasn't played amazingly well. It was fine. But yeah, they didn't do much with it. <laughs> it was one of these throwaway lines. Yeah, I'm actually an evil you. It was standard megalomania, laughing and planning to destroy the world or whatever. So you could probably update that in some way if you wanted to bring that back somehow. Yeah, 100%. While you were chatting about, oh yeah, they could have just a crazy war doctor. like, Neil Patrick Harris would be great. <laughs> oh yeah. Now we've been chatting about the people who like this. It'd be great if he was just a crazy doctor. I'd love that. It's funny how Neil Patrick Harris has been stepping up his villain game since How I Met Your Mother. I've only got two examples, Gone Girl and The Matrix, where he's played some pretty nasty people. Also, Count Olaf in a series of Unfortunate Events. Oh yeah. That's a cartoon one. And I think this will be more... Count Olaf than the architect. <laughs> There'll be some scenery tuning and moustache twirling going on. If he is the toy maker, that doesn't really inspire menace, does it? Yeah, the toy maker is a big old clown. Plus, he's at his best when he does campy personality types. That's just his thing. It's his thing he's very good at. Yeah, that's what works. If anyone's looking to watch the original toy maker story, it's gone. You can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> it exists mostly only in books, but all four episodes of the TV version of him no longer exist. No one's found it in their attic or something like that. <laughs> no one's found it. There's audio and there's clips, but most of that character is notoriety came from the 90s when he basically became Pennywise, just a universal evil god clown thing. So was he a Hartnell enemy then? Yeah, he's only appeared once on TV with William Hartnell. A lot of the villains that have come back in the new ones, they only appear once or twice, but then... In the 90s, or when Doctor Who wasn't around, in the world of like audiobook and comics, we've had characters like the Zygons, the Great Intelligence was another one, the Santarans. They didn't show up much because they gained popularity off screen. Well, I think we will get, if he is a toy maker, it'll be more of a goofy one. But if Rusty Davis was a nerd in his 20s or whatever, reading this character in books as a sort of menacing Pennywise character, it could be the menacing Pennywise one. And then you had things like the Macra and the Krillotane, they appeared before, didn't they? But they were very different. Yeah, a lot of the ones that people remember the best. They just showed up once in the non-canon world. They got a lot of work. 
done to them and to sort of build them up. Talking about effective teasing, though, the Krillotain episode, a lot of people latched onto the fact that you had Anthony Stewart Head standing in front of the Headmaster sign, but he was covering the word head. So, well, he's always master. So everyone was like, maybe he's for the master. And then, no, he's just a big bat person. Oh, yeah, I remember everything. But he's just an evil looking guy in a suit. And it's like, oh my God, it's the master. He's evil and he's got a suit. And he's standing in front of the word master. So that must be him. Also, his hair's kind of receding. It just looks so evil. Anthony Shorthead would have been a great master, though, to be fair. Yeah, he would have been really good. I think that might have been, another, again, talking about Rusty Davis playing on expectations. That was plot. They must have had him standing next to a sign saying master. It's because he knew that's what people were going to read into it. And then even then, it was 2006. It wasn't as heavy on the internet speculation as it is now. Different world, really. Yeah, different worlds. But I'm sure there was forums and stuff going along. I'm trying to think what else. Because I can't remember the last time when we talked about what's up and coming. I think it was more centenary news. The last time we talked was when they announced the return of the old companions. So last month, Chris and I talked about the casting of the Doctor and David Tennant and Catherine Tate's return, which is all pretty self-evident. We don't know that much about it in terms of what they're actually planning to do with him and what Shooty Gat will be like, but everybody seems to think he's a great choice. And he is, to remind our listeners, he is Edinburgh, born and bred, or certainly bred. He's from Edinburgh, where we're recording from right now. Fourth Scottish one. Yeah. You've watched all the revival series. We've got David Tennant so far. I'm assuming that's not all that's coming. Do you think there's anything that you'd like to see come up in the 60th or... Would you like to see a particular either Doctor or non-Doctor character or a storyline to be followed? Is there anything that you just think you'd like to see in a big spectacle year? I think it's difficult because I feel like Russell T Davies is going to just drop everything that other people dealt with and start with his own thing. That's your usual showrunner situation. Although Moffat did pick up on a couple of threads that Davies left behind such as the Time War, which he had to do for the 50th anniversary. He'd resolved that, really, in a way. I would quite like to see the resolution of Clara walking about with one second left, because she says she'll have to go back sometime to fix the timeline. So I would like to see that, but I don't think we will. And I would like to see a proper multi-Doctor story based on all the Doctors that we've had so far, and maybe a couple of old ones. I still feel like Paul McGann deserves his place in the sun as a proper live-action outing, other than that short that we got, which was great, but... I would like to see him as part of a bigger thing and surely you can coax the other Doctors back. It seems like Christopher Eccleston's on the cusp of saying yes again. Seems like that's got to be close and Matt Smith, it shouldn't be too hard to dredge him back. Do you want to do Morbius 2 or this? Yeah, <laughs> I need to get the Morbius crowd off my back. What can I do that's instant? I mean, Doctor for like a minute is like, sure. <laughs> Capaldi as well. What's he Capaldi back? So yeah, give us all of the revival Doctors, I suppose. Plus Paul McGann. High on my list, I'd love to see Paul McGann do stuff. It would be nice to have a bit of old Who rep, and he is certainly the easiest choice because his character has continued. They're sort of established in that mini-episode. He looks the way he does as the Doctor, whereas it'd take more explaining to have, like, 70-year-old Celeste McCoy show up, <laughs> just running around or whatever. <laughs> I think Paul McGann would be great to get. Same, I'd love to see Matt Smith. I think we've, we've already got David Tennant, and we've had David Tennant and Matt Smith together. It's not as... A fun idea because we kind of know how they play off each other but i know she's still the doctor so she hasn't really been away but i would love to see other doctors and jodie whittaker meet up i don't know if you're not aware but i think she has recently given birth or she is pregnant with a, a second child so yeah she's not filming <laughs> <laughs> at the moment she's not going to show up but maybe for next year well i suppose they're already filming the 60th but maybe she could pick up next year i don't know yeah or sort of similar to how they did in the 50th same with her and some of the older actors they could phone in you could have 
them all talking over various TARDISes and lines recorded on Zoom somewhere. It's the easiest way to make it work. But also, Shruti Gatwa, I mean, I don't know if the specials are his story, but if you're going to have him as a doctor and he's the new doctor, you want him to be the lead because he's the one that's taking over. What a tall order for someone taking on the role. Okay, so we're going to have you regenerate after Jodie Whittaker. You're the first black doctor. Great. Okay, so that's a milestone. And your first episode will be the 60th anniversary. So... Good luck. Yeah. Here's the most beloved Doctor ever, David Tennant. You're working with him. (laughs) No pressure. Yeah, you just have to dive straight in. You don't even get one season to clear your feet. You just jump straight in to the 60th anniversary. Post-regeneration. Could be quite weird because we might have all the post-regeneration hijinks in the middle of the 60th anniversary. He's spewing energy and all that stuff. You know, all the stuff they usually do when they're post-regeneration. I think... He probably won't be in. It'll probably be in the big 60th special, but if they have episodes around it, I think they'll save him for his own moment and his own story to go. But it would be a lot to throw him in, basically hungover, just in this mess of other things. <laughs> also, it's not really fair on him. It's your first day, you've got to win everyone over, and you've been overshadowed by everybody. Yeah. But I think it's a much fairer way. Like, yeah, you can have David Tennant or a couple of the ones show around for a little bit, and then in the 60th, towards the end is the climax. That's when 14 comes in and has their big doctor moment and saves the day and kind of establishes themselves. Yeah, so I do wonder if the regeneration we'll get from Jodie Whittaker will be less than traditional. As in, we'll see the regeneration happen, but she won't regenerate into Shruti Gatwa. She'll regenerate into David Tennant or something, and then we'll pick up on that and play around with that for a little while. It's looking likely that it'll be a rocky one. We've got no idea how much Rusty Davis is in preparation for the centenary, how much he wants involvement in terms of if he needs the regeneration to go a bit wonky, will he have had some work on the script to add stuff in, or will it be a case of, oh no, I'll just be the sort of traditional way of, you get two minutes at the end. (laughs) That's your slot. So you can't crowd the place with doctors. You need some non-doctor characters. Obviously in certain cases, some of the original actors... I think of the bit in The Simpsons, keep telling you, he's 90 years old and he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) They can come back as audio or, or, I don't know, if there's a way of bringing back the actors as villains or if we're getting a sort of crazy toy building god man, maybe you get Peter Davison as a clown (laughs) or Paul McGann as a ventriloquist doll or something. You could have a lot of fun with that well. It's really weird when you think about it though that basically they're starting with this clean slate but for an anniversary year because at least for the 50th anniversary Matt Smith was our doctor so that was your in if you'd been watching or even if you hadn't it's this is familiar it's been going on for a while we have a setup here we've got the doctor we've got Clara that's his companion it almost feels like you need Yaz to hang around for a while at least to ease the transition <laughs> that would be a real snub not for like the actress but her character in the last two specials she's in love with the doctor and then suddenly this woman she's fancied is now like six different men <laughs> <laughs> it'd be quite a wild ride for poor yes she's just seen the doctor that she's fallen in love with dying and here's a gimmick one it's like look at my big scarf she's just crying <laughs> this is the worst i suppose there's possibilities of some other Russell T Davies era characters to turn up, like Mickey and maybe not Noel Clark because he's fallen out of favour a bit, but Martha or someone? Martha could be good. Jenny, if you remember Jenny, the Doctor's yeah. daughter, 
There's a couple of ones like that. Billy Piper will probably show up. I think the 2023, it won't be too much shooting at this year. They'll clean the slate afterwards, but I think they'll get this big thing out of the way. Big celebration, make a show of it. It might be Russ T. Davis doing a big centerpiece kind of story. You know, I'm back, everyone loves me. Just a big old celebration of things he likes about the show and how the show has progressed. And, and then 2024 onwards, you can have a bit more of a, not reboot necessarily. A refresh. A refresh. New Doctor, new friends. New aliens. Maybe he'll spend most of the 60th anniversary like David Tennant did, just asleep. Or maybe it'll be like one of those clip shows where it's like, do you remember when I was <laughs> in this planet and they just showing David Tennant running around for a little bit and actually he's just you no know, for it all. He pulls out his big 2000 year photo album <laughs> just <laughs> flicking through and it's just a really awkward clip show. He remembers it slightly incorrectly though, that's why the change in cult and so on. From the Doctor's perspective... It's been like thousand-ish years. I think I'm all blue. It depends if you subscribe to Peter Capaldi's million years punching a wall. Yeah, you might have spent billions of years punching a wall. Yeah. I think I'm all blue. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was this. I think I was this guy. That'd be great if it's like, I think I was this one, or I might have been the bow tie one, and then suddenly it's just Matt Smith's doctor doing the same thing. It was a redhead companion. Maybe it was Donna. Maybe it was Amy. They just seemed trying to remember, and they're just swapping their visuals out bit of an unreliable narrator type situation yeah it'd be quite fun yeah cool i actually find myself quite excited about this it seems like the hype is working in that sense it might all add up to bugger all as often happens with hype being generated but i think russell t davies is certainly doing the right things to get people talking about it and get people thinking about it and getting people interested in seeing what's coming next. But like I said throughout this, he's always been really good at the hype situation. He's always a good part one guy, but a really bad part two guy, if you know what I mean. He's a really good part one guy. And Stephen Moffat's a really bad part one guy, but he's a really good part two guy. <laughs> he can do the wrap-up, and Russell Davis can do the threat. Collectively, they've got a really good finale. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you get back in your TARDIS and back to... Saving the Universe and filming your scenes for the 60th anniversary special. Is there any other rumours that you've come across that bear mentioning or have we covered everything as it is just now? I saw one that made me laugh just because of its clickbaitiness, which was Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi both spotted in London. Could they be returning to filming? <laughs> no, it's just London. Everyone's in London. <laughs> you can include everybody. Maybe Capaldi's turning up for Paddington 3. Who knows? They're, they're making Maybe, that. yeah. Two Pat Parazzi pictures of them just in the Costa or walking or whatever. Are they back as Doctor Who? They do both live in London, but they're not often seen kicking out. Maybe it's a filming or maybe not. As much as I love speculation on what's happening, I also really love terrible clickbait. <laughs> Extreme speculation that is based on nothing. So we get both of those to look forward to for the next uh, year-ish, a year and a bit, as we find out what happens. Yeah, and we'll probably have you back on to discuss more reveals and news and what have you over the next few months. But otherwise, we'll probably try and do a podcast about the regeneration episode. Yeah, it'd be great to do that. Like, sort of whole that era wrap-up with the centenary Chris Chimnall, Jodie Waker. So there's lots to talk about there. And then there'll be trickles of info and speculation coming out. I'll be around to talk about them. Yes, I will find other creative ways to leave messages through time and space to summon you for news podcasts to discuss them. Otherwise, we'll do the Centenary Special podcast. We'll do that. And I would like to do the 50th anniversary. Again, we're just doing admin. Well, chat in here. But yeah, it's a tease for listeners. Do you want to hear us talk about the 50th anniversary before the 60th? Make yourself known. Listeners, write this down because we'll forget. And then write on the comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you don't have anything else, 
good time to just hop in your TARDIS. No, that's it for now. I'll leave this time bubble and go continue talking to Aaron. Give my love to Aaron while you're there. I will. Chat to you soon. Isaac is now gone. How was your sandwich? It was sandwich. Good God, you were gone for 16 years. You time travelled back to the wrong place. That's a lot of sandwiches. I've raised an entire family in this meantime. But is the time travel podcast out yet? I already did that ages ago. I keep telling you, I'm done. It's you and Chris that need to get around to doing it. <laughs> it hasn't happened in our timelines yet. No. Yeah, it may have happened in Chris's. I don't know where he is in the time stream. Very confusing. Living this non-linear existence. Yeah, I just went into the future and got it done. I say, you you guys are playing catch out. Yeah, fair enough. Well done for doing that. I hope it was good. I hope you enjoyed it. Well, we'll find out when I catch up and listen to it. Yeah. Speaking of a non-linear existence, actually, I forgot to mention this in the TV shows I was watching, but I watched The Time Traveller's Wife, the so far first season. Hopefully there'll be more. It was really good. Just wanted to add that in. I wanted to make sure that was mentioned. So if you like yeah. trippy, out-of-sequence love story stuff, watch it. Fair play. Let's keep going. We're going to move into a couple of video game adaptation stuff. The first one is the Horizon Zero Dawn TV series that Netflix is going to be doing. Are you aware of this game series in any way? Have you come across it in your perhaps streaming travels or YouTubing travels? I've seen it on YouTube. I'm more of a tabletop guy. I've not really done enough with computer games to know it, I'm afraid. I haven't finished the first game yet. For some reason, I always started it just before a busy period of time in my life and then just dropped it and then the next time I went back and started it again and so on so I only get so far into it but it's a rich and textured and fascinating world and the thing that's caught my eye about this tv series is not just telling the story of the game again what it's actually going to be is going to sit alongside the story seen in the video games it's supposedly going to be called horizon 2074 and will shed light on some of the events that take place before the fall of humanity that's cool I like it we have this world you've seen this part of it here's another part of it rather than see this part again but with actors yeah fair play i mean it might retread i don't know how the first game how much detail it goes into about the fall of humanity and things so it might just be retreading a lot of that but at the same time it's not just we're just going to tell aloy's story again i'm on board just for that reason True. thinking outside the box a little bit the game box that is this next one is something you might be interested in but only for one particular reason. You must be aware of the Duke Nukem video games. From a long time ago, but I did play those, yeah. They're perhaps not catering to modern sensibilities in the way that they're (laughs) set up these days. And they did finally release Duke Nukem Forever, which was essentially the release date, as in we're never going to release this, but they eventually did. And it was just seen as a bit of a relic of a bygone age of gaming, both in gameplay and in terms of storytelling and so on but they're going to have a go at doing a movie and it's going to come from the Cobra Kai creators Josh Held, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg so I know you're a huge fan of Cobra Kai so does them taking on this material excite you? Well I guess no but I am a big fan of their stuff but pick out a computer game adaption that has been really good it's really hard sonic or detective pikachu i've not seen those so fair play to you for doing it i didn't even bother going to watch doom when that came out i mean that's not very good it's so hard to produce something that's actually going to be good on average you just make a naff adaption that hails the film and everybody thinks i remember that bit i remember that bit and i remember that bit from the game well done you've ticked the boxes so 
I'm not excited. If it turns out to be amazing, great. But I've been tricked too many times. I can't assume a video game adaption to a film is going to be good. My understanding is that Cobra Kai leans into the, I'm not sure what the right word is, but it leans into the particular style of Karate Kid and it makes fun of itself in a way or delivers it in a certain style. Well, yeah, but there were human characters that had lives that you could write stories around. This is going to be an action film with guns and shooting and punching and so on, and you have to put a story in it. Unless they do as a satire of that kind of storytelling, with Duke Nukem being this inaccessible action hero type that doesn't have a place anymore, they could do that. They could, yeah. If they made a comedy action, that could be a good film. That seems like their wheelhouse, though, doesn't it? It seems like you wouldn't get them involved unless that was your angle or something like it. I don't know. I guess I don't necessarily trust that. I mean, the Mortal Kombat film was tongue-in-cheek. They didn't lean into making it a comedy, and I think that would be the same thing. I think they'll make a tongue-in-cheek film, but that's a totally different thing. I think Once Bitten, Twice Shy is too big in my head here, I'm afraid, but again, I'm old and cynical. Maybe you'll see a trailer and think, oh, they've done it. They've managed to make this something that's interesting. If they do, they deserve all the money they get from it, because they have tread a path that nobody else has been able to for 40 years so fair play to them (laughs) okay that's it for video game adaptation updates the next thing is we have some updates about the ted tv series have you seen the ted movies no okay they are fine and i think i enjoyed them more when they came out than i would now because i eventually just got sick of the family guy style of comedy and enjoyed it at the time but some things are not meant to be revisited which is a bit of a shame that they're doing this. Seth MacFarlane said, for me, the challenge was really how does this character exist in a world without Mark Wahlberg? I think a lot of people would like to exist in a world without Mark Wahlberg. It's a discussion for another time. He said, that was really a two-hander. The movie was a real feat of visual effects work for the artists who did it, but also if you look at the raw footage before the bear was placed into it, a lot of that was Mark. He's just talking about the fact that they're making it. But the official synopsis for Ted... The TV series is, it's 1993 and Ted the Bear's moment of fame has passed, leaving him with his best friend, 16-year-old John Bennett, who lives in a working-class Boston home with his parents and cousin. Ted may not be the best influence on John, but when it comes right down to it, Ted's willing to go out on a limb to help his friend and family. It's going to be more of the same, and I can already see some of the jokes about Ted and a 16-year-old John, and I find them already disgusting, so that's that. Yep. Nothing on Ted? I haven't even seen it. I don't even really know what it is. It's... What if a young boy's wish came true to have his teddy bear come to life and then what happens when that young boy is an adult, the teddy bear's still alive? Turns out a lot of Family Guy-style humour, at least according to Seth MacFarlane. But yeah, if you're not being interested in it, then you won't be interested in it. Moving on, Deadline have reported that Jenny Klein has signed an overall deal for television content with independent studio Entertainment One. One of the things that she'll be doing is showrunning the Power Rangers series that's currently in development at Netflix. She'll collaborate on the series with Jonathan Entwistle, who's overseeing the Power Rangers universe under a deal. He also signed with E1. And that's all it really says. They haven't said what their approach will be, but I've been following this and I'm interested in just them doing a bit more of a, maybe not serious take, but a more serious take on Power Rangers. And with a female showrunner, I don't know that the show has had female showrunners in the past. Maybe it has, I'm not sure. But cool. That's moving forward, and I'm excited to see that version of my childhood being updated. I like the film that they released a few years ago, and it's a shame that it never got a sequel because I really liked it. But yes, 
Power Rangers. I assume you have no opinion. I never watched it, I'm afraid. I know they come in different colours, but that's the, that's the best I've got. Different colours, they fight the forces of evil, fight monsters. It's fun. It's something I never properly grew out of and don't plan to. Move on, a sequel to a Netflix thing that I didn't expect was going to get a sequel, but The Old Guard 2 is happening and Uma Thurman and Henry Golden have been cast. The returning cast members, Charlize Theron, Kiki Lane, Matthias Schoenhartz, Marwan Kanzari, Luca Marinelli, Veronica No, and Sheetel Ijiofor, who reprised their roles from the first movie. The Old Guard followed a covert team of immortal mercenaries who have to fight to keep their identity a secret when they find themselves exposed and an unexpected new member is discovered. It's yet to be revealed how Thurman and Golding play into the story, but both stars certainly have action experience. The Old Guard was a really good idea that wasn't executed very well. I think. So I'm surprised it's getting a sequel, but in a way it did feel like the pilot of a TV show, actually. I'm not surprised it's getting a sequel because it set itself up to have one. It was enjoyable enough. I didn't really get loads out of it, but I didn't hate it. I would probably watch it. To see if they capitalise on the potential. Yeah, just to see. I probably won't, but that's maybe not a reflection on my thoughts on the first film. It's more of a reflection on things that come out on Netflix. I guess the first one didn't interest me enough to want to see too much more of it, so... Let's see. I know Charlie Theron's character becomes mortal in the first one, doesn't she? Yeah, I didn't really enjoy it well enough, I'm afraid, to remember it. I remember it being reasonably fun enough to watch. So I'd have it on. I wouldn't seek it out, but if it came on, I wouldn't turn it off. Okay. Next up, I teased this earlier. Pinocchio is getting another adaptation, this one from Guillermo del Toro. He's doing it as a stop-motion film, which is interesting, almost a lost art. When asked about the project, he says, I've always been... Very intrigued by the links between Pinocchio and Frankenstein, Del Toro tells Vanity Fair for the exclusive first look. They're both about a child that's thrown into the world, both created by a father who then expects them to figure out what's good, what's bad, the ethics and morals, love, life and essentials on their own. I think that was, for me, childhood. You had to figure it out with your very limited experience. And there's a picture of his take on Pinocchio. Interesting, I don't want to say the word departure because it probably won't be a massive departure, but it'll be... Enough of a difference from the Disney one, for sure. It'll be more traditional take on the story, I suppose. You've got David Bradley voicing Geppetto and Gregory Mann voicing Pinocchio. So it's a love letter to stop-motion filmmaking, and he's actually doing it proper stop-motion style as well. By the looks of things, you see the picture of him looking through the window at the small puppet and things. His boundless creativity strikes again. It sounds like a good idea for something to try. I've never managed to connect with any of his work before, but that's not... So there's anything wrong with it. It's just nothing that I've been able to make a personal connection with. But it sounds like a reasonable premise to try something with. Mm -hmm. Next up is an announcement about the Lord of the Rings anime, The War of the Rohirrim. Brian Cox, Guy Wise and Miranda Otto are just some of the names in the voice cast. Miranda Otto is reprising her role as Eowyn and she's going to be the narrator apparently. The anime feature directed by Kenji Kamiyama is set 183 years before the events chronicled in the original trilogy of films. A sudden attack by Wolf... A clever and ruthless Dunlending Lord seeking vengeance for the death of his father forces Helm and his people to make a daring last stand in the ancient stronghold of the Hornburg, a mighty fortress that will later come to be known as Helm's Deep. Finding herself in an increasingly desperate situation, Hera, the daughter of Helm, must summon the will to lead the resistance against the deadly enemy, intent on their total destruction. As I said, Otto, who's reprising her role as Eowyn, serves as the tale's narrator. The ensemble includes Lorraine Ashburn, Yazdan Kwafori, Benjamin Wainwright, Lawrence Ubong Williams, Sean Dooley, Michael Wildman. So it's got a big cast, it's a big story, and seeing Lord of the Rings depicted in anime style might be just a novel idea. 
I've seen a lot of hate for the extension of the Lord of the Rings franchise, but I'm specifically avoiding all of that hate. So I'm on board to see it. I want to see what people can do with it. I think the hate is more lobbied at the Amazon series rather than this. I could be wrong, though. But certainly I saw a lot of people really hating on the trailer for that. Maybe this is snuck beneath the notice. Who knows? Next up, there are three Avatar The Last Airbender animated films in development at Paramount. Not to be confused with James Cameron's blockbuster series. It's based on the anime-influenced TV series about a boy who can manipulate water, earth, fire and air. The popular animated show aired on Nickelodeon from 2005 to 2008 and inspired a spin-off titled Legend of Korra as well as an upcoming live-action show on Netflix. But they're doing another three animated films. Do you know anything about this? I'm not huge on anime but I hear people like this. It's a license to print money. It's so popular. I don't get a lot out of anime myself, but people in my gaming subculture love it. And this is hailed as one of the best things that's ever been done. So they will just keep punting more and more money into this and making infinite cash out of it. So I can't comment on the quality myself, but I know too many people that love it to not recognise that. Sure, people that love it will love this, hopefully. And hopefully it will do justice to the other stuff that has been associated with this property. Still on anime, we are going to be getting a live-action adaptation of One Punch Man. Justin Lin, who directed some Fast and Furious movies and Star Trek Beyond, recently left Fast 10 or Fast X for reasons that are attributed to not liking working with Vin Diesel anymore. He's going to be directing this One Punch Man adaptation. As I understand it, One Punch Man is... A very great modern take on the Superman concept. He's this person with infinite power. How do you make that relatable? And how do you create stakes and tension within that? And apparently it's very good at that. I know it's famous, but other than that, I'm afraid I'm also a bit of a loss. No connection. Again, I've heard enough people say how much they love it. So, fair play. He can defeat anybody in one punch. I guess the question is, who does he punch? Or why does he punch people? And that's what to explore. I like Justin Lin's work. He's good at what he does, although... I'm not a huge fan of the Fast and Furious movies. I did like his Star Trek movie, though, so hopefully this will be good when it appears. Getting towards the end of our list now, HBO are doing another Game of Thrones spin-off, and this one is going to be set after the Game of Thrones story. It's going to focus on the fan-favourite character Jon Snow, with Kit Harington attached to reprise the role should a series move forward. That's what they're planning to do. Although I did read some of the background of this. There was stuff about Kit Harrington didn't want to be involved in it after a while because it was doing massive damage to his mental health and things. So this seems to surprise me on that basis. Maybe they've just found an angle and George R. R. Martin looks for any excuse not to write another book, I suppose. That's why he's positing this. You didn't finish Game of Thrones, did you? Were you aware of Kit Harrington's character in that show? Yeah, what I did see of him, he played the character well, but I didn't watch it all the way to the end. For the same reasons, I didn't read the book series to the end. I lost interest. Too many characters. And it, the TV series more about the display than the story. And the main character, Khaleesi, seemed to be from a different story than the one I originally started reading. I read a medieval political show, and then it turned into magical fantasy where she is the savior of the world i thought well that's not what i started out with so it might be interesting to bring it back to Jon snow who's human and have it as a human plot again maybe that's how i could get back onto it refine the focus a little bit to one guy and his satellites of people i guess yeah no fair i won't watch it because i just have no interest in the game of thrones set up really so this isn't going to get me on board i said that about the trailer for the prequel spin-off not interested so Again, not going to watch this, but popular, so it's on the list. 
Next up is another Disney remake, Guy Ritchie again doing a Hercules live action movie. It's one of those weird things. We've got so many Hercules movies and now we've got Disney Hercules again. Avengers Endgame directors Joe and Anthony Russo are producing the film and hired action specialist Dave Callahan to write a first draft. Presumably he's just going to copy what the animated one did. As far as I know, it's not one of the most celebrated animated Disney movies I have seen it, but I don't remember very much about it. It's just the latest in this line of we're going to keep doing these, so fair enough. Not even seen it, I'm afraid. The original. It's not one of the classics, so I wouldn't rush to see it. I don't remember it that well. Maybe I'd love it if I rewatched it. Moving on, better news. Paddington 3 is moving ahead, and it's found a director and a concept. Dougal Wilson is going to be doing it. He's an award-winning advert maker or commercial for our American listeners. So a bit of a departure from Paul King, who did the first two which is fine. Depends if he's any good at it. Paul King's doing the Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory prequel spin-off thing. But this one's going to be called Paddington in Peru and it will begin principal photography in 2023, filming on location in both London and Peru. Interesting, Peru playing Peru. Unless Peru is London and London is Peru, that would be weird. I love the first two Paddington movies and I've no reason to assume that this will be any different, even though it's directed by someone else. I'm really looking forward to them doing that. It's so warm and lovely and optimistic and positive, and it's just so nice to see that just leaning into that. A big thing in the first film was London is so impolite in the modern day, but you've got Paddington who's polite. When it was originally released, everybody was expressing good manners and stuff, but you've got Paddington bringing back good manners to a more cynical place. So I love that as an idea. He's just this ray of sunshine and positive influence in everywhere he goes. The films do that really well. Cool. So if you haven't seen them, watch them. It will be heartwarming. Really? Last item on our list is Neve Campbell won't be back for Scream 6. And it's about money, basically. She said, as a woman, I have had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. The actress said about her turn in the 744 million plus grossing global franchise. I felt the offer was presented to me did not equate to the value I have brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You have always been so incredibly supportive of me. I'm forever grateful to you and to what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. Can't say fairer than that. She feels like she has more value to the franchise than they're willing to pay her. And she is able to walk away from that because she doesn't feel like they're compensating her fairly. Then I have no issue with that at all. They won't pay attention until someone does. So, yeah. Yeah. And she's had overwhelming support over it. Obviously, she's had her detractors about the, oh, you think you're value to this franchise? Well, yes. However, I think the Scream films should probably move away from that original cast because how many times can the same group of people survive <laughs> lethal encounters like this? Is that part of the joke? Kind of, yeah. The Scream films are unique in the sense that it's the characters that persist rather than the slasher or the yeah. antagonist. So Halloween, you've got Michael Myers. He persists through it all. Jason Voorhees and Friday the 13th and so on and so forth. Whereas in this, it's these characters that persist and then the franchise continues finding other reasons for different people to copycat that original killer. So it makes sense as an idea and it does good satire on Hollywood and horror and everything else. But I do think moving on with new characters is probably the best thing for the franchise. They'll probably still get one or two back. Well, they already have with Hayden Panachier, but other people can come back or not. So we'll see. But she's not, because they're not paying her enough. Unless they put another offer on the table and she takes that. We don't know. Mm-hmm. You a fan of the Scream franchise? I have seen the first one, but I can't claim to be a fan because I haven't faithfully watched all of them. Fair play. Okay. Well, that is the end of our list. Congratulations to us for making it through it. That's amazing. We covered June trailers and news, and we'll do the same in July, and we'll do the same 
every month until the end of time. I don't know. That's pretty depressing to think about as a prospect. But anyway, end on a positive note. We did it and we discussed some stuff and we have potentially things that we might want to watch in the future. So I'd like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, please do hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast. Probably where you're listening to this, there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit it. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or any of the places that have rating possibilities built in, please do give us a rating. And there's numbers of stars. I won't ask you what number of stars we should get because you will find some way to brainwash people and say give us one or something. Yep, I like to. So give us five stars, please. And comment if you feel we are deserving. If you want to discuss any of the stuff we brought up here or anything else really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under New Before Blog or leave us a comment on kneelbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Kneel Before Pod. Kneel Before Pod.